Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to the Silmarillion Film Project. This is session six of season six of the Silmarillion Film Project. Uh, unfortunately, Dave Kell couldn't be with us here this evening. He is uh, trapped somewhere in some horrible godforsaken place with no internet, so he couldn't join us. Uh, but... We do have Nick Palazzo and Marie Prosser with us from the writer's room here today to help us solve some of our last significant problems or really kind of fill in the, la- the last big gaps, right? We've been trying to do a lot of work figuring out, getting lined up, everything else that's going on around Baron and Luthien's story. Baron and Luthien's story we know pretty well, right? Um, and of course, we'll, you know, we'll have to see how we can balance it to make sure it fits well into the episode structure of the season and stuff like that. But, but still... There's a whole lot to work with on the Baron and Luthien story itself, right? But a lot of the peripheral stuff, a lot of the stuff that goes on uh, off stage and things, um, we need to think through. And of course, a lot of the stuff that we're going to be talking about this evening will be stuff that not only happens off stage, but is never going to be on screen at all, right? Like, you know, what are the reasons why these people are doing these things and, uh, you know, what is going on? We're going to be kind of explaining uh, what's going to be happening. And then, of course, we'll have to be deciding later, how do we convey this? You know, how do we, how do we you know, what of this do we need to convey and how do we set this? But we're doing all of our, um, doing all of our backstory uh, here, trying to, uh, trying to sort things out. And our two major areas of focus here tonight are the Narg- the Nargothrond story, especially, of course, Caligorm and Kurafin, and how they happen uh, and what goes on with that. And then Doriath, of course, primarily Thingol, what's going on with Thingol exactly, how do we handle Thingol's character this season. Um, and also, as a little rider, what's up with Dairon? What are we going to do? What are we going to do with Dairon anyway? I, we could just send him off, <laughs> which is kind of what Tolkien does, right? Um, or we could decide if we want, you know, to do more than that. So, so we'll we'll see. Uh, anyway, that is what we're going to be talking about tonight. A couple quick announcements first before we jump further into it. Uh, two things I wanted to make sure folks do about. One is uh, the new broadcast I just started this week called Other Minds and Hands. It's a an open and friendly discussion of Tolkien adaptation. Um, this, <laughs> as many of you may know, I've been I've been just receiving all kinds of internet love this past week. It's been a, a, just an outpouring of affection uh, towards me personally from the Tolkien community that has been just heartwarming. Um, and uh, in our uh, in response to this, uh, I, I've you know been um, uh, wanting to create a forum where people can discuss things and talk about things. It's obvious there's a lot of a lot of fear, a lot of concern, you know, so we, and of course most of you know that I'm being sarcastic. I uh, I've been like flamed from one end to the next of the internet for the last, <laughs> since last Friday. Um but um uh and I told the story as to like how this uh how this came to be. Um uh at the at our first session this past Wednesday of Other Minds and Hands, but um Anyway, the um, the the long and the short of it is, when I was you know starting to find myself like attacked and insulted all over the place, the first thing that I tried to figure out was like who is doing this, right? Is this like that? Is my primary question was the people who are upset at me are they actually Tolkien fans? Or are they not actually Tolkien fans? 
right? I mean, are these like professional trolls who are just like out to, you know, stomp on things because they think that's fun? Or are these people like actually concerned Tolkien fans? And what I found, at least, you know, with my unscientific interactions with them, um, was that I found that the majority of those folks uh, seemed to be, in fact, real Tolkien fans who had real fears and concerns. Um, And what's more, were sort of frustrated uh, because uh, people weren't taking them seriously. Now, again, the, the moderation of one's rhetoric might also help the one to be taken more seriously, but nevertheless, like I, 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 I get that. I feel that. So, other minds and hands is a new forum that uh, uh, that I'm going to be running on Wednesdays, and uh, we're uh, the the whole idea of it is we're going to be talking through questions of adaptation. So it's going to be it's 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 not quite like the old riddles in the dark broadcast before the Hobbit films came out, mostly because it's going to be a little bit less focused than that. We won't be we won't be having quiz questions. Um, we're going to be doing a lot more kind of general discussion as well and really kind of seeing if we as Tolkien fandom can kind of help ourselves <laughs> help each other through this whole time. And my own argument is to like this, there is so much to enjoy, right? Um, and again, I go back to Riddles in the Dark. Um, the Hobbit films ended up being fairly dreadful, but you know what? I loved those three years, of build-up for the films, like up until the release of the third one, right? Um, And and it was all the way through the third one, because until the third one was released, I could still tell myself that it might, they they might pull it out, right? There were still ways in which one could imagine that the third movie could have, like, pulled some things together and salvaged stuff from those first two films. Um, possibly unlikely, but it was still like, I could still imagine ways in which it could happen. And so it wasn't until then we saw the third film and it was like, okay, no, that was actually even worse than I expected. But, um, but anyway, the point is the lead up through there was this golden time of just fun anticipation. Right. And of course, as many of you, uh, film film folks know, that was ultimately where the film film idea came from, right? After we had been doing all of this thinking about the adaptation of the Hobbit films and what we were thinking Jackson might do and what we were hoping Jackson might, might do and what we thought we might do instead if we were, you know, in his place. And so that's what led us to say, okay, let's just, let's just have that fun, continue having that fun untrammeled by reality and without any disappointment at the end. So, uh, but once again, we find ourselves in a position where we've got six months, right? We've got six months before the show comes out. Um, and I don't care, like, it might, like, you know, it's, I, it, I don't think it looks horrible, but, like, it might be, who knows? Maybe it'll be horrible, right? But they can't take these next six months away from us, right? And we can still think and talk about, you know, Gilgalad and Galadriel and, and uh, you know, Celebrimbor and how are they going to do the Sauron thing and what's, oh, I mean, there's so much. Uh, to think and talk about in Numenor and how are they going to do the epic time compression that it looks like they're going to be doing. Like, I can't wait. Boy, people have been complaining about our... It's made me actually quite smug, right? When I think about the time compression that we've done, right? And how hard that was and how resistant it was. And and now, like, we're going to look so good compared to the time compression that... Like, let's tell a 2,500-year story in one season or, you know, five seasons even. Um... But uh, anyhow, um, 
it'll be a lot of fun. It'll be a lot of fun. So that's what's going to be going on at Other Minds and Hands. We'll be uh, spending some time looking forward uh, in excitement, sometimes discussing Tolkien adaptation issues, sometimes, uh, uh, you know, consoling folks and providing a shoulder to cry on. We'll see what happens. But that's all going to be happening on Wednesdays. Uh, and the next one will be on March 9th. That's uh, going to be our next session. I'm going to be here next week. So, And then I wanted to make sure that uh, you guys knew about what's going on in our space program. We're nearing the beginning of a new set of modules next week, uh, March. We start our March modules, um, and we've got lots of fun things going on in particular. I want to so here I'm on the space page, signumuniversity.org slash space. And if you scroll down, here are the modules that are confirmed. These are the ones that are starting next week. Um, so we've got, I could even like make it so that like you can read it and such. Um, uh, we've got lots of really fun modules, including the one I'm especially excited about is our hieroglyphics class. We're you know doing uh, our the introduction to Egyptian hieroglyphics, uh, so I, that's going to be a lot of fun. The Tolkien and alchemy class with with Sarah Brown, um, uh, our creative writing workshop is back. Lots of really fun things happening in March, and then we have our candidate modules for April here, and there's some really fun things here. Two new languages, Ancient Greek and Old Norse. We're starting uh, Ancient Greek and Old Norse, both of them. Um, and we have uh, uh, Pity in the Lord of the Rings with Tom Hillman, uh, who's uh, going to be talking about the role of pity uh, in uh, throughout the Lord of the Rings. Really cool stuff. Lots of fun things happening, uh, or potentially happening. Of course, if you um, you know, the, the way that we do this, right, these are the ones that we're offering, and then we see if there's, uh, you know, if there's sufficient interest in them, then we confirm them. That's that's what happened. That's the difference between the two lists. So we'll be announcing our confirmed modules uh, soon, in about a week. Um, so there's still time. If you are interested in taking one of these in April, then all you have to do is just buy a token up at the top of the page. You buy uh, one to six tokens, and then you can just tell us which module you're interested to take, and then we will we will know, and we will be the more likely uh, to confirm your module so that uh, you can take the thing that you're interested to take. So anyway... Um, Space has been a lot of fun, and uh, we have a lot of people involved in space, and uh, it's been awesome. So just wanted to definitely commend that to folks. Oh, and I almost forgot. I, uh, moots coming up. We have Tex Moot and Sunshine Moot both happening within this next month. So uh, March 26th is going to be Tex Moot, and April 2nd is Sunshine Moot down in Florida. Um, so if you are in the Austin, Texas, or the Florida areas, then you can uh, you can you'd be welcome to attend those in person with me. I'm going to be uh, at both of them um, at the end of this month, beginning or end of next month, beginning of the month after. Um, uh, or, of course, both of them are available for uh, digital participation as well. So you can um, attend in person, you can attend remotely, and uh, participate in our upcoming moots. So just go to signumuniversity.org slash events for these things. All right. Those are my announcements. Um, I'm not going to tempt fate by looking at the map again. Um <laughs> Sorry, it's an, it's an inside joke. I was telling the I was telling the story to Nick and Marie beforehand. I was just I recorded a, um, well, okay, I'll give you those of you who are attending live. I'll give you a little spoiler, uh, which is that so I was on uh, the Friendship Onion uh, podcast with uh, Dominic Monahan and Billy Boyd. Uh, we recorded that last week, and no um, big deal. 
it was it was it was really fun and um and they uh, Billy Boyd in particular was very excited about film film and he had been watching uh some film film episodes and so he um he you know how he like stumped Colbert with a question on the, on the Tonight Show well he uh um uh he was so he stumped me by asking me the name of the map feature that I had noticed for the first time at the beginning of some film last time. And I totally couldn't remember, uh, what it was. Uh, so anyway, that was, um, uh, that was, that was really fun. So like Billy Boyd watches some film, loved it. Asked me about it. Like he brought it up in the, uh, in the podcast. Uh, he was really enthusiastic about, uh, um, uh, about the film film project. So, uh, if you, uh, I think the episode is going to drop next week, I think, um, the, the one that I'm in. And so, uh, you can, you can, you can hear him talk about some film, uh, there. Cause he was, he was all about it. Um, anyway. All right. Let us get down to business. Nargathron. So our first and biggest Nargathron, I, I mean, honestly, it feels like the biggest Nargathron question, right? Is just, how do we get them there? Right. Just how, that's, that's the hardest, uh, kind of puzzle to solve. Now, I had a vague memory that we kind of we talked about this a bit before, didn't we? Didn't we have them? But I think maybe our previous idea was a little bit weak. <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, I think it was more that we rejected some ideas rather than selected what we wanted to go with. Uh-huh. So, for instance, one question is how do they get from East Beleriand to West Beleriand? And oh, one by what option is right. exactly. Yeah. And so one option would be to go through um, Nundungurtha, yeah. which would be what, like the fifth party to travel through there <laughs> two <laughs> minutes before Baron does. <laughs> right. So exactly. you know, but, I, I think there was like a, lot a of strong traffic design. in Nundungurtha up there. Right. Yeah. So there was a strong desire to avoid that for that reason. Or with the caveat that if we included it, we'd have to do something different with it than we did with every other right. story that we were telling. Yeah. So yeah. it was like, don't do that. Yeah, Which we're in serious danger they're... of overplaying Nandungorthet. Right. So I was like, okay, well, then send them south around Doriath. That would be the alternative. So yeah. like the geography w- would work. Right. But we didn't ever necessarily answer the story question of why are they making this journey and with the southern route around Doriath like that's a lot of traveling (laughs) so why are they doing this and where are they going and what was the goal of this trip Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. that's the part we did um settle on an answer for yeah yeah um so one possibility here Obviously, the the biggest awkwardness that we're trying to avoid, right, is trying to explain why they. Let me say this another way: What would be most weird is if the eastern side of Beleriand is almost completely caved in, except for Himring, right, where Mithros still stands, and Kelgorm and Kurafin retreated from the Pass of Aglon uh, in disarray, right? That's when we last saw them at the end of season five. Um, And then the battle is over. um, 
Mithros is working to reconsolidate Himring and reestablish things. And meanwhile, Kelgorm and Kurafin just kind of wander off, right? They're like, okay, so yeah, Mithros is up against it and he stood, but we can't be bothered. Hey, I know, let's go to West Beleriand for some reason and leave Mithros to fend for himself. Like that, that's weird, right? That's, that's the core weirdness we're trying to avoid. Um, what if, what if Mithros sends them off? Because here's, 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 here's one other thing. Um, there's been good communication between Fingen and Mithros so far, right? I mean, the two of, the two, I mean, I, I, not, not very recently, right? Not since the right, battle. Right, not right that's now. Right, <laughs> yeah. but, but that's the point. Like, before the battle, there was, because, you know, Ardgallen was easy, was an easy ride, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you just loop up north. Anyway, the point is, Mithros and Fingen are the two most, you know, they're the, they're the two end points of the leaguer, right? And yet, and, and also, of course, the closest allies of the whole group, um, and they were able to stay in contact because of the way that the Feanorian cavalry pretty much had the run of Ardgalen, more or less, right? Um, with some awkward exceptions, like young Glaurung, etc. Um, but in general, they did fine out there in Ardgalen. Not so much now, right? Now that is cut off. So here, so, so you're Mithros, right? You're Mithros, you're there in Himring, you're trying to consolidate Himring. Do you even know what happened? Like, is Fingen still alive? Do you know? Now, we had that moment where, like, everyone, at the very end, right, with Fingolfin's battle, where everyone is, like, kind of peripherally aware that uh, something major is going down, right? So he may have a sense. We've suggested that Mithros, because Mithros, as I recall, was included in that montage, right? The uh, um, remote spectation of Fingolfin's dual montage that we were doing there. Um, so Their audience. Yeah, exactly. So Mithros is going to have some vague sense of that, but what else happened in the battle? Mm. Like, is Fingen still alive? Does Mithrim still stand? Um, is Tolsirion still standing? What happened to... I mean... Dorthonian is close enough. They've probably seen enough smoke that he fears the worst uh, for Dorthonian. But even that, I mean, so, and he's not been able to get news because, so what else? So actually, although going south around the southern part of Doriath is certainly a long trip, these days it also doubles as the fastest, safest road over to the allies, not just to stay coordinated for the future, but even just to figure out what the heck happened in the past, right? I mean, their information cannot be complete about even how the Dagar Bragalak went for people over on the Western Front, right? Now, I'm not saying we necessarily... um, uh, I'm not saying we necessarily have to have Mithros still be in ignorance, right? I mean, he probably could have sent somebody and gotten a response or something like it. I'm not saying he has to be in ignorance. But what I am saying is there is going to be a need for people to travel back and forth. And that's now the main route. I mean, yes, it's shorter to go, th- go through Nandan Gortheb, but come on. Like, that's not the best route, right? Better to go around the south of Doriath, even though it's longer, because you're like way more likely to survive and everything. So, um, uh, 
if Mithros wants to communicate with Fingen and coordinate trying to pick the pieces up at all, he has to do it by that route around southern Doriath and therefore near Nargothrond. Not necessarily through Nargothrond, but near Nargothrond. So if we think about it from that context, um, having Feanorian folks, right? You know, now we still have to come up for, with a reason why Kelgorm and Kurafin specifically, and when they do go that way, why do they stay, right, as they do? You know, so that, that's sort of the next step. But it's just the more I think about it, the more I'm realizing we actually don't need all that much of an excuse. They do need to coordinate. You know, so like, hey, the leaguer's broken, right? But like, how, how broken are we talking about here? And Mithros is focused on reconsolidating, right? Mithros believes, especially if we can handle the dragon issue somehow or other, right? But Mithros first is, you know, confirming Himring, and then he's going to retake the, you know, the March of Mithros and the Pass of Agawan. I mean, he's going he's gonna to be working, on solidifying things here, it doesn't seem to me that odd that he would therefore send his two brothers to say, um, why don't you go coordinate with the folks, A, check on them, B, coordinate with them to see, because they're probably going to need help, right? They're probably going to need help, but at the very least, we need to know what's going on. I got this over here, right? We'll work on, I'll, I'll work on resetting up what defenses we can over here in East Beleriand. Um, and because, of course, also, they're not leaving with their armies, Kelgorm and Kurafin, right? Necessarily? I mean, do they show up with they're, armies they're of leaving, thousands? They're leaving with their people because the Pass of Baglan was overrun. So they're not without their armies unless what? they're leaving them with Mithras. With Mithras, which is what I'm thinking. Like, basically, so I... What I'm asking is, how many people do we need? How many Feanorians do mm. we need in, 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 in Nargothrond, basically? Well, I'm thinking we don't want that many, right? Well, unless, because I've had uh, in my head a building. So you remember um, right before the Dominion War in Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. when, uh, when before they, they wound up in the big fight with the Klingons, when the Klingon fleet first shows up at Deep Space Nine and they start landing troops on the station, right? Yes. And they're allies, right? Like, the Klingons are the good guys, right? But there's this really uncomfortable situation. The Klingons are definitely more warlike than yes. even the the military people that run the station, right? And I feel like it, that would be a really interesting kind of scenario to have in Nargothrond. Well, um, I do agree that having more people would make it easier for them to take power, for sure. For sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, yeah, and I, you're right, um, uh, Anthea, that uh, the Silmarillion does say that they swell the numbers of Nargothrond. It's true. But see, it's... If they... I can only see one scenario in which Kelgorm and Kurufin, with their fleeing armies and people, make a beeline from the Pass of Aglon to Nargothrond, essentially. Right? I mean, if they're just like, they're in flight 
with their people. They don't stop. They don't check in with Mithros. They just go straight and they end up at Nargothron. The only way they could do that is if they think everyone else is dead. Like if they, th- I mean, they're not going mean, to, fleeing the Pass of Agon is one thing. Traveling all the way down around, you're only going to vacate Eastern Beleriand. I mean, if they think Mithros might still be alive, they're going to at least check, right? I mean, they're, they're going to, yeah. that's got to. Um, so, I, I can't, I, I just can't get, that's the main thing I can't get behind. Yeah. I can't get behind a straight path from the yeah. Pass of Agalon in retreat to Nargothrond. They yeah. have to deal with Mithros somehow or other. Like, they and Mithros have to come to an agreement that this should happen. And I can't see Mithros saying, oh yeah, it's fine, no, take all of your people with you yeah. uh, into the West. Like, that's like, let's, let's, let's weaken the March of Mithros by like, you know, at, at least a third, maybe half of its armies. That seems weird to me, but that doesn't, it also doesn't mean they, the two of them have to be traveling like, you know, two elves and their dog, uh, on the way. And, and of course, kid, two elves, son, three elves and dog is our minimum, our minimum population that we have to get to Nargothrond. Right. Um, but anyway, I'm saying it, it certainly doesn't have to be that they can go with a strong contingent, even a military contingent. Because they don't know what they're going to face. Yeah, yeah. For all they know, when they get into Western Beleriand, they're going to be facing, like, roving uh, 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 legions of orcs in the fields. Yeah, so I guess my question is, is Mytheros sending them to check in with Fingen and see what needs to be done? Or is he sending them with specific directions, like, make sure the pass at Tulsirian is still safe? (laughs) Like, please, whatever you do, get over there and put an army on that spot. (laughs) Right. Like, I need to, see, to keep it, you my, know, or is, yeah. is Mithras doing this all on his own, or is he still deferring to the High King at this point? So, I th- well, especially since Fingen is High King, and he's he knows Fingen is going to be High King, he's obviously not going to make trouble for Fingen, right? Mithras's goals would be totally collaborative, Less so Kurafins, <laughs> right? I was going to say, there's no question that Mythros is fine <laughs> exactly. with Fingon as High King, but to send Kurafin into West Beleriand and be like, hey, take an army and go do some things. He's got to like, realize what? this. Yeah. He's got to realize yeah, what this, were is, the this is instructions here. <laughs> yeah. I, so, okay. I think now on the one hand, I don't think Kurafin is going to be just ignoring Mythros' instructions, right? But I do think that there can be a, a clear reinterpretation of his instructions. So do I think Mithros is going to be like, okay, I want you to go and occupy West Beleriand, right? No, I don't think that's what Mithros is going to say. Um, but he would say they are probably going to need help. I want you to go and to offer what support that you can. It would be like a, an, almost a sacrificial act on Mithros' part. He'd be weakening himself. But he would know that Fingen might need them more. And, like, let's face it, he can't go himself. He has to stay, you know, he, he feels the responsibility to stay and lead the Feanorians in eastern Beleriand to re-solidify the defenses. So who's he going to send? He's not spoiled for choice, right? I mean, like, what, Carinthir? Uh, mm. You know, Amros? Who are you going to send? Like, it's... And he has a tolerably competent uh, cavalry general, right? Um, who is clearly, and, and, and cavalry, obviously he's going to send the cavalry, 
right? Because we're talking about a lot of open land over there in West Beleriand. And again, as far as they know... And the great distances they have to cover to get there. Exactly, exactly. They have to cross long distances, and it would be best for them to be mobile so they don't get pinned down if there are wandering bands of orcs or whatever, you know, large bands of orcs, like, you know, legions of orcs on on the move. Um... Which again, for all they know, that's what's over there. In what you know, if Tal Syrian has fallen, which they don't know if Tal Syrian has fallen or not. So, even if they knew it hadn't fallen yet, they don't. You know, they don't know it hasn't fallen at this point. Um, so, ooh, wait a second. When is Glaurung gonna leave? Uh, it's much later. later. Much, later. much, much later. This has to happen way before that. Way before. Um, okay, I couldn't remember. Well, okay. one thing in the interest of kind of like scene economy one thing that we can do to kind of help prevent us having to explain quite so much is have Kelgorm and Kurfin return to the pass of Aglon and find Mithros already there having already cleared it right right rather than because it's it's one of the easiest ways for troops from Dorthonian to come in behind him Right. At him ring. Right. So right. It, it, it would be a priority. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that g- it gives him all kinds of grounds to be like, yeah, we've got this covered. We've got this. We're fine here. Yeah. Thanks for your help. <laughs> However, I do have something I need you to do. And they could take a an expeditionary force of maybe, you know, 500 to 1500 cavalry yeah yeah something like that around the horn and he his goal could he could give them kind of a little bit of latitude because if he gives them specific orders which he did last time that giving them specific orders doesn't work out the way he work let's try giving them non-specific orders right (laughs) let's give them uh, a little more latitude um but primarily to make sure that that all of Western Beleriand hasn't fallen. And we could make, this could be a good opportunity for us to bring up, um, because perhaps then Dungertheb has gotten worse in recent years. Because we've had a few people go through there already with relatively little issue. Mm -hmm. All right. So if we use this opportunity to say that it's gotten worse... And then when we send Baron through there, you know, like if the, if Myros is saying, I've tried sending messengers out there, it's impassable. It's impassable. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Setting up uh, Baron's passage through it as a greater feat, uh, an even greater than usual feat uh, would be would be yeah. a nice little side and accomplishment it- there. And that conversation gives us a chance to get the breakdown of what's happening out in East Beleriand. You know, what's going on with Glaurung. The um, Maglor's Gap maybe still hasn't been hasn't been relieved yet, but that's on the outer edge. They're trying to restore a certain amount of the inside of the... Um, right. Of what was the leaguer. Right. Yeah, no, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, and Ilana was asking the uncomfortable question, why doesn't he send Maglor, since Maglor would seem to be his most trustworthy brother? Because All... he's his most trustworthy <laughs> brother. 
and he needs him there. Yes. 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 Um, and again, the fact that that Kelgorm and Kurafin do the cavalry is another reason. Like they're the most logical. If you're going to send somebody, yeah, you know, to to send the cavalry makes all kinds of sense. Um, and um, yeah, so I think that that's. Um, I think that that's possible. Ilana says she feels that Maglor is a very underused character. You're so right. Um, my yes. only consolation is that we have the most time to make up for that with Maglor. <laughs> we have so many seasons in which we can do more with Maglor if we want to. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, we'll see. Um, we can we can keep Maglor around in Second Age. Why not? Um, but, um, anyway, Maglor lives, Maglor lives. Yeah. Maglor lives. Um, in fact, uh, I, I, part, part of me really wants to have Maglor cameos through the end of the third age, <laughs> basically not like not having to be part of the storyline. Just, just, just like cameos. Like there he still is anyway. Or just, um, just his voice on the breeze in the background <laughs> occasionally. Oh, oh no, there's people who write fan fiction where, Tolkien is in the trenches in the Great War, and there's this character who's in there with him who meets him, and it's Maglor. It's Maglor, yeah, sure. Why not? And he proceeds to tell him the story of the Middle Earth. <laughs> right. Yep, yep, yeah. No, I can, I can see it. I can see it. Um, but um, okay, working, anyway, uh, working so in that, a Bombadil cameo is going to be especially difficult this season, Kanji. That's true. That's true. Um, uh, we are going to send Sauron over the mountains to meet the I was just going to say, that's, that's, that's it. Like, uh, um, because Sauron, Sauron versus Bombadil. <laughs> yeah. That would be like, an, yeah. That Sauron would be an interesting like, day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Sauron, um, uh, uh, at least doing a flyover, right? Uh, <laughs> Dripping blood on Tom Pompadour as he flies by. Who knows? Yeah, but something. I, that's just what I was thinking. I think that's. I think that. I think it's got to be the move, um, because we're not going to do much more other than set up um, uh, Sauron's flight, right? Like establish the fact that he's gone over the mountains and he's off in you know the greater Eriador region somewhere. Um, so yeah, I think that's. Uh, think that's it um but um anyway okay um uh oh and yes kanji it's totally cheating if we put the bombadil uh uh cameo in the frame yeah that's that's absolutely cheating yeah yeah um it's not saying we can't put bombadil in the frame ever um in fact like a whole tom bombadil frame it was a really bad idea but it would be fun uh (laughs) Not least because then just think, just think of all the trochaic hexameter that Nick and Marie would get to write uh, if that were the case. So anyway, just saying it's a funny idea, but not a good one. Anyhow, so uh, Kelgorm and Kurafin get sent on a vague mission of uh, both like reconnaissance and relief to West Valerian, right? And also to get them out of Magor's hair, or uh, uh, Mithros's hair, right uh, over there, because he's still kind of uh, uh, mad at them. 
um, and they weren't helping before, and he doesn't need them now. But they might actually do a lot of good. He's still legi- he's legitimately worried about Fingen and if Fingen needs support. So he sends them over. Now, we're Kelgorm and Kurafin. Mithros has sent them packing to go and... So wait, what are going to be Mithros' exact orders? That's the thing. Are they going to check in with Thingen? Are they, is he making sure that his brothers recognize Thingen as High King personally? Is that he can, he can say that he hasn't heard yet from Thingen, the High King, mm-hmm. and he can send them to Western Balerion to determine what's happening. Now, here's the thing. Once Kelgorm and Kurfin reach Nargothron, they get, get all the news they need, right? right? And they find that, indeed, Western Balerion has not entirely fallen. Right. And okay, so they stands. feel like they have done their job Yes. once they get there. Yes, exactly. Um, the question is, has, is Tolserian still standing by this point? Because I kind of feel like it has to fall in the first episode. Me too. Right. But as it far does. as they know, it's still stand. Like but not when they get to Nargothron, though. Yeah. They, they, I mean, that that'll be the fun irony, right? Uh, episode one, Tulsirian falls. Episode two, or whatever, they arrive at Nargothron, and everyone's like, "Oh yeah, no, everything's fine. Tulsirian is still standing." And then it's not actually. But um, how, uh, how would they not have found out? Well, it's a long ways. Uh, it depends on how. Nargothrond is very near Tulsirian, and there's it's a lot only of flat a land in between. Miles. And That's... anyone fleeing from Tulsirian <laughs> is going straight to Nargothrond, so right. they're going to get that news very quickly. Um, so the only way Kelagorm and Kurifin show up and are told everything's fine here is if the refugees from Tulsirian start like pouring in the next day. Um, so it probably would look overly convenient if we did it that way. And might be better if they actually try to go really back to back. Mm. Right. So if we actually send them up to Tulsirian so that they're arriving too late to prevent Sauron taking the tower. And they run into Oradreth at that point. Yeah. I could kind of see Oradreth um, talking Calibrimbor and his father and uncle into escorting the remaining civilians. Because presumably most of the soldiery of Tulsirian perished in the um in the attack. And though I would so, think a side effect of Sauron's necromantic siege warfare technique would mm-hmm. be probably more survivors than usual, because many will have run away. You know, with mm-hmm. like, with the whole, you know, investing the place with terror. Um, uh, it's fair. They're not like murder ghosts. They're fear mm-hmm. ghosts. Right. 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 Yeah. So there would have been a panicked flight from Tulsirian. Um, but in any case, you're absolutely right that I actually, so I really like the idea of Kelagorm and Kurafin essentially rescuing Oradreth. Um and, and it, it also makes it more Ordra's fault because he's invited them to Nargothrond. Yes, yes. And it, it sets up a sort of a... And, and of course, fits obviously with the Celebrimbor Ordra friendship that we've already established, right? And that also kind of diffuses 
any kind of apparent political machination involved, right? I mean, there's all kinds yeah. of perfectly good and positive. There's Celebrimbor with genuine goodwill, right, uh, looking to help and rescue his friend. They've accomplished something real. They get back to Nargothrond and are welcomed as heroes by the people of Nargothrond, right? Yeah. Look at what these people... Gosh, aren't we lucky that Kelgorm and Kurufin came over here, right? And they mm. saved the day. And now all of these people who now, P.S., also now live in Nargothrond owe them their lives, right? And probably think they're pretty swell chaps, right? So Yes, because that's, that's another problem. We, we may have misjudged talked them. About. Yeah, we, but we hadn't even addressed the part of, like, it's one thing to get them into West Valeria. It's another thing to get them invited to live in Nargothrond. Right. Because right. even if it's like, we're here to help, great. Why would Finrod be like, come stay with me necessarily? Like, there's not a motivation. But if we attach them to the people coming from Tulsarian, now because, there's every right. reason for them to be welcomed. And yeah. it's a and natural organic development. Very much. And you can also, it's also really easy to see from like a military tactical situation why having them around is massively convenient, right? Because they all know Tulsarian has just fallen, right? The, you know, the gates to West Beleriand are now wide open to the orcs. So what's the future of Nargothrond? Um, the you know, Forest of Brethil is obviously in danger. Um, all of the lands north of Nargothrond are going to be overrun by the orcs. So what are they, the, Nargoth- the Nargothrondrim, going to do? I always have a really hard time pronouncing that word properly. Um, what are the Nargothrondrim going to do? They're going to, uh, like, like, what do we just, but they don't have cavalry, right? What are we going to do, sit here and wait in Nargothrond and hope they don't find us? I mean, like, that's one option, right? But, you know, if we had a cavalry unit attached to us that could, like, patrol the plane and, like, right. you know, help to, to screen, um, you know, the whole, like, realm of Nargothron from more, you know, to, to, you know, it, it just obviously would be really useful to have them around. So, and they could see, like, hey, there's good to be, there's good to be done here. We're, we're obviously needed over here, not to mention the fact that they've got, like, they don't want the orcs coming around the south of Doriath the other way and attacking Mithros from behind either, right? So there's, even from a purely Feanorian standpoint, some tactical advantage to saying, well, in a sense, now that Tulsirian has fallen, this is the next line of defense. Nargothrond is the next line of defense. Right. Nargothrond and the Fens of Syrian, right, as you can see below, below Doriath there, um, like, we want to keep if the, you know the orcs are breaking through now, right? You know Morgoth's forces can get through Syria now, Tol Syrian anytime they want. So, um, all we can do is hope they don't go through Nandungorthad because that place is like the orcs aren't even going to be able to do that. Um, but if we can contain things here, um, so there's all kinds of like perfectly you know humanitarian and tactically sound, strategically sound reasons for them to say, well, Mother sent us here, and we're now uh, this is this is this is this is not us skulking down you know in southwestern Bulgaria and as far from Mithros as we can get. No, no, no. This is us on the front lines, right? You know, yeah. defending 
the uh, you know the soft underbelly of the defenses of the Feanorians, essentially, from the orcs that now have free range down into this area. Um, Meanwhile, so it makes all kinds of sense. Yeah. Meanwhile, Corifan has to be thinking, and this is a much better place to run than the Pass of Aglon. Yes, absolutely. Um, because, of course, and Marie, I know this is a big thing of yours, Corifan has not forgiven his brother for giving up the High Kingship, right? Um, so Corifan still fancies himself High King, right? Or, you know, would like to be high king and so imagining seeing an opportunity to say like now he's got Zoradreth and there's Finrod like, there's Zoradreth and there's Finrod and there's him obviously remember we defined high king as primary military leader of the Noldor right totally him here right he's, he's you know uh, he's not dealing with Fingen yet right but um he could certainly imagine a time when if he is instrumental to solidifying the defenses of and establishing this like new military leadership of West Beleriand, um, that's a, a significant step, right, uh, towards reclaiming the rightful position of leadership that Mithros, uh, you know, abdicated uh, when he let the High Kingship pass. Um, so... Um, Anyway, I think that, that that seems to me to, like, fit his political goals. And um, and also, by the way, does not make him, um, you know, Marie, I know that one of your concerns has always been, like, we cannot have even Kelligorm and Kurufin just being, yes, mustache-twirling villains throughout this entire thing. Um, they, they, they need to have motivations that at least they can convince themselves they're doing, you know, what is for the best. Um, and one I'm can easily see how this I'm fine with Luthien viewing them as mustache-twirling villains. Like, right. from her viewpoint and her perspective, they 100% are that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 But, Again, we're not, we're, not, we're not trying to yeah. actually make them good guys with, like, you know, blameless motives um but yeah but they can't be just acting irrationally they can't we, we can't have them going around Balerian being like what evil may i perpetrate today like that's just not okay it doesn't make any sense um uh in and, the, and the, the like that whole, yeah and with the whole hiking thing it's just we've denied curfin so many aspects of that like it's yes. one thing when mithras conceded but at the same time that Mithras recognized Fingolfin, Curfin was running around trying to get Finrod on board. Cause like, if I could get Finrod in our camp, then we would have consolidated power. So like, he was all like, if I can just get Finrod, well, yeah. now he's a Nargothrond, he can get Finrod. Yeah, and then it's like, well, at least we can all go set up kingdoms of our own. And then here's Mithras and East Beleriand going, none of us are going to call ourselves king. <laughs> And Kerfin's like, I can't even be king of the Pass of Aglon. What is this? <laughs> right. I, I feel very cheated. <laughs> yes. Yes. This is not how he was hoping this would go. That's right. Yeah. Finrod so, gets to call himself king. <laughs> fin- Finrod right. has this whole huge land. I mean, yeah. We were has... all promised realms of our own. Where's realm? 
Right. Exactly. <laughs> Come on. Where's where's mine? Exactly. Where's mine? Um, but again, this thinking about it in this context, even the usurpation of Nargothrond down the road can be from a Kurufinian Kurufinian perspective, that would be the adjectival form, maybe? From a Kurufinian perspective, would still be not only defensible, but perfectly sensible, right? Like, somebody has to lead, right? Um, and it's, and what Finrod, Finrod is functionally abdicating right here, right? I mean, he is, he is stepping down and going off on this solo journey um, from a from a from a, a strategic standpoint, this is foolishness, right? Um, you know, we're not gonna like. Yeah, we could go in force, like we could bring the whole cavalry with him to support him in Baroness. But what, like, seriously, what are we gonna go? I'll go knock on the doors of Angband. Like that's the plan. That's a terrible mm. plan. You know. And, and how is he? The cavalry isn't gonna help them when they get to Tolsirian either. No, no, it's not. No, it's not. So, um, again, you could see. You could even see how that whole situation, Finrod is acting irrationally, irrationally in fulfillment of some mad oath he took. I mean, who does that? Uh, what a moron. So uh, anyways, there he goes, right, fulfilling his oath and doing uh, dumb things. Um, meanwhile, somebody's got to stay around here and pick up the pieces, right? Somebody's got to keep this place together. And it's finally Kurafin's time. Right. It's fine. You know, he is he is the leader that Nargothrond obviously needs at this moment. Right. Um, He wouldn't have and didn't attempt to displace Finrod himself. Right. Um, uh, Even though he has probably been even with Finrod, uh, you know, basically sort of establishing himself as the one who's kind of the military commander of the region. Right. He's probably making steps in that direction. Like, and trying to rule Nargothrond, right? He's not calling himself the Lord of Nargothrond, but, um, but you know, he's an, he's not a subject of Finrod either, right? He's not, he's not like swearing fealty or something like that. He's not, um, a, a, merely a captain of Finrod's armies. Um, he's, he's clearly in his own mind running the military affairs of West Beleriand at this point, even while Finrod is there, right? And then when Finrod leaves, well, now he has to take up the heavy responsibility of, governing Nargothrond and Oradress. It's just, it's the worst. It's hard, man. But he's just that kind of guy. He's big that way. And when mm-hmm. he sees a need that needs to be filled, he's he's willing to do it. He's willing to do it. Um, Oradress. Sure is. Yeah, he is. He is. Um, Oradress will recognize that Kurofin is a a you know, better military leader than he, more experienced than he, right? Oradreth's deferring to Kurufin, both out of courtesy to the one who saved his life and out of respect for an elder and, um, and uh, uh, you know, what uh, the, his superior martial experience makes all kinds of sense, right? One thing, though, that we've been doing with Oradreth, uh, his characterization has been very canny. And I think that he might he might kind of see himself as playing the long game with Kurofin. Um, okay. Like he's he he's reading the terrain right, and he sees that he doesn't have the political position right. to to step in and and oust 
Kurofin from power. Uh, and in fact, Kurofin, like I imagine kind of Kurofin running Nargothrond and West Balerion from like his guest suite, right? Not from, right. not from oh, yeah. like the main hall. Yeah. Right. Uh, like he's, he's doing all his business right there in his living room, essentially. Right. In, in a way that makes it appear as if he's it's it's just temporary, right? Like mm-hmm. it, I'm I'm doing you know I'm doing you guys a favor. I'm helping you guys out, and it's not my fault that people keep coming to me to ask right. me what they need to do. Right. I I I, I think we don't um, we don't have him actually like take the crown away from Ordreth, right? Ordreth keeps ruling. It's just. Kurifin obviously in charge, right? Um, and whereas there was a clear balance between Finrod as plainly Lord of Nargothrond and Kurifin as the one who is still asserting, you know, the High King esque <laughs> stance of military, you know, overall military, you know, strategist and coordinator uh, there in West Beleriand, they were they were still operating as peers. He's not operating as peers with Oradreth, and Oradreth does what he says. And now he's much more active in um, being the functional ruler. But he's not going to necessarily care about trying to displace Oradreth because he's gonna, he's canny enough to know that um, actually taking the throne away from Oradreth is going to create more trouble than it's going to be worth. Um, and he's in charge anyway. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I, I think, I think that this sets things up really neatly. Now, what's the relationship, um, what's Kelligorm's role in this? We've been focusing on Kurofin as the primary leader and chief, um, uh, uh, source of machinations here, but, um. I'm pretty sure Kelligorm came to West Beleriand so he could have opportunities to kill orcs and, you know, roam around with his army and do the thing. He is not into the politics side of this at all. So he's right. field captain. Kurofin is general. Right. Now, when Luthien comes on the scene, that changes things because now Kelogorm, like, Kelogorm falls head over heels for her in whatever way that we decide that, you know, whatever we decide that looks like. Mm-hmm. Right. And Kurifin kind of pitches the idea of a unified Southern Balarian to him through their, his relationship with Luthien. Yeah. Right. So that Caligorm, like it's not just for his own desires like yep. in his mind, right? It's not just for his own desires that he is pursuing Luthien clearly against her will, but it's for the good of all Balerion. Everything is at stake here. Yeah. Kurofin would get to be the great hero of Balerion if he could, if he could only win the heart of the Princess of Doria. Yeah, Kurofin really is. Um really is the High King that Beleriand needs right now. I think we can all see that, uh, especially Kurofin. Um, 
and, and you know he might be more high king than they deserve to be frank but he's the one that they need and he's willing to do it anyway um but yeah this is a, obviously a golden opportunity right so so yeah the two re- the two different reactions to luthien right themselves right um Keligorm is just like holy cow that's the most beautiful woman anyone has ever seen right um and here i am uh unmarried and quite interested in this and then kurafin is like oh genius oh my goodness yes like the only thing that we didn't have here is any possible avenue to alliance with Doriath, right? You know, we've been, I'm sick of going around that place, right? It's a long ride. And anyway, like, obviously, they could be a big help. So, and here it is, like, literally on our doorstep, um, uh, like a little new catastrophe, uh, the, uh, you know, the, our, 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 our key to Doriath. Yeah, I mean, she's wandered into the territory of Nargothrond, so she came to them yep, for other reasons, but that's, you know, irrelevant. And Thingol's the one who started talking about Silmarils. So, you know, if that's how you want to get Feanorian's attention, he got the Feanorian's attention. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So from their point of view, like, this is just the next logical step of diplomatic relations, I guess. <laughs> you know, they didn't yes. start this. This is... This is Doriath's doing. They're just reacting. Right. 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 Um, yes. Um, hang on a second. Before we get to Luthien, I want to make sure we we can see why they let Finrod go. Because, again, this is clearly foolishness. Right? Um if Finrod needs to go and fulfill his oath, then fine. If some want to go with him, that's okay too. That's in their power to choose. Um, but obviously, like seriously, what are we going to send the whole army? We can't send the whole army, right? We have to, we have to protect West Beleriand here. Um, he would probably not even see what. I mean, he, he could very well even convince himself that he was not betraying um, Finrod here. Right. I mean, he's not helping him, obviously, but he's like Finrod is doing what he's doing, you know, on his own. Right. Um, Finrod made his own choices. Finrod made his own choices. Um, And hmm, I'm just trying to think of after Finrod leaves, we established how, okay, right, Ordreth takes over and why Ordreth would defer more to him. And by the way, this just. Can I just say that the payoff at this moment is just a wonderful justification or um, like affirmation of our choice about Oradreth's parentage? Um, you know, we we made the call as to which version of Oradreth's parentage we wanted. Um, when Oradreth is Finrod's brother, he just looks incredibly weak, like he's just an just like a complete milksop. Um, who can't stand up to anybody uh, first gets bullied around by Kelgorm and Kurafin and then gets bullied around by Turin. Right. I mean, he's, he's uh, um, like this most spineless of all elf Kings uh, in the first age. Um, but by shifting him down a generation, the way that we did making, you know, it changes the dynamic completely so that it's now much. And when you add that extra dynamic of, 
gratitude uh, to Kura, gratitude and trust to Kurafin for Kurafin saving his life. There's it just it makes that all so much easier and so much more pleasant. Meanwhile, okay, so what's he doing? Finrod leaves before Luthien shows up. What's Kelgorm's not Kelgorm? Kurafin's plan. What's Kurafin's plan? What's he? What's he wanting to do? How's he wanting to sort of solidify the like? Um, again, like Luthien falling into his lap is a you know an unforeseen stroke, right? Um, But uh, before that, what's his, what's he setting out to do? What's he trying to figure? His public face or his private thoughts? Because his private thoughts are probably that if Finrod wants to go after a Silmarill, his death's on his own head and he deserves everything he gets. Right. But it's unlikely that he's walking around Nargothron saying that. Right. Right. Um, it's so too is... bad. It's <laughs> too bad. It really is that Finrod chose to abandon his own people. It is. Um, but what can you expect of somebody who attempts to take or keep a Silmaril uh, away from the Sons of Fanor? I mean, that's exactly it's rightful the owners. kind of behavior. Yeah, exactly. So, come on now. Um, I Yep. Yep. Um, does he have a okay, pre-Luthian? Does he have a we don't necessarily he doesn't we don't necessarily have to build a plan for him. I'm just trying to think what his next steps would have been or like what he would have yeah. been working on when Luthien showed up. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah cuz he has to think Finrod's coming back. Yeah. Even if it's a foolish plan and it's going to end in disaster, he doesn't necessarily think that Finrod is definitely going to die as a result of this. Although it's got to be the, 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 the smart odds though, doesn't it? I mean, well, if he's okay. actually going to go to, to, yeah, but band. I mean, it's the type of thing of, if anybody deploys to war zone, you're like, okay, there's always the chance this person could die, but he has to be making a plan of what do I do when Finrod comes back? Like his plan has to include the it, it has to include Finrod's not possibly. actually out of the picture yet. Yeah. Right. So I think, I think that, He's in a holding pattern, trying to get as much control of Nargothrond as he can, so that even when Finrod comes back, Finrod doesn't necessarily just get to walk right back in, pick up his crown, and resume. Right. Also, could he be trying to court a certain amount of, maybe not ill will, but frustration with with Finrod for prioritizing his relationship with this single individual because just because he's 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 new dog right 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 yeah yeah no i I, that's exactly why why i'm thinking about this because he has to have a different plan right i mean finrod is prioritized like what's he so but so i'm just like staring at the map here and i'm looking at um sort of the big picture right um he now now that Finrod's gone, he's totally got West Beleriand solidified, right? Kurafin is functionally the High King of West Beleriand. That only really leaves two other three total players, right? His brother Mithros is one, right? That's a different issue. Um, um, Thingol is another, and he's off the table. He's inaccessible, right? Um, and the other is Fingon. That's it. That's the only one that's left, right? So his next move, if he wants to, and not to mention, 
obviously, Fingen, bit of a uh, road bump in the Kurofin for High King campaign, um, which he's attempting to work. Would he have design? Like, what what would Kurofin hope to do, um, as far as? gaining a similar kind... I mean, he managed to gain the kind of relationship that he wanted with Finrod even before Finrod left, right? Um, how can he establish himself as, again, like, mili- you know, High King, essentially, um, get Fingon to defer to him, right? That would ha- that surely would be his goal, I think. Um would he think, have any plans to retake Tulsarian? That's the obvious because, move. Because yeah. that's a tower built by Finrod. That's the linchpin. If if he could reclaim that, yes, Fingen would have to listen to him. It would. Could he? Could he be trying to court Fingen for a a joint attack on Tulsarian? Um, I, like the only thing I want to make sure of is that we don't create the situation where we're hinting at a, a larger story with Fingen that that gets aborted, right? Right, right, because it's um, not going to happen. No, I'm not necessarily saying that we um go into any details here. What I'm thinking is Luthien's going to burst onto the scene and change his plans in this totally unexpected way, right? Right. But there has to be some, I mean, there has to be some plan. He's not just like, no, I run Nargothrond and my evil schemes are complete. Like, it's clearly not, right? Um, so there has to be, now, and so like, as far as what is actually said on screen, there needs to be, there need be very little evidence of this in, in truth, right? Um uh, I, I could imagine maybe one line or something in which, like, he's talking, you know, and when he's explaining about the, the alliance with Doriath. No, the the way it would come up is after Finrod gets captured and imprisoned in Tulsirian, uh, Kurifin has to ditch his plans to attack the place. Right. And that makes him a lot more culpable when they don't go rescue Finrod. Because if he was already planning, like, this is, in theory, how we could one day retake Tulsirian. And he's like, let's just shelve that oh, wait, wait, <laughs> and wait, leave wait, wait. Finrod yeah, yeah. in dungeon there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, hang on. I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. Okay, so plan A is Operation Tulsirian. I mean, Nick, you're right. Clearly, that's the only... Ne- it's like the next military objective for the good guys on the whole western side of Valerian, right? we got to f- solve the Tulsirian problem. Um, so... Plan A, let's uh, let's try to take Tulsirian. Um, then they news comes. Does news come? Do they find out that he's captive there? Right. This 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 is something that they find out. Okay. So we have them find out um, that Finrod is captive in Tulsirian. Okay. How do they find out? Well, one guy were, gets away. One, one guy can get away. There, there, there's, okay. there's, there's extra dudes. Because um, okay. he, here's what I like about them knowing this, right? I know in the book they don't find out about it till after the fact, right? And then look worse. But, but okay, so hang on. So, bear with me. He's saying, on the one hand, he's saying, no, wait, this is perfect. What he wants, he's not trying to overthrow Fingen, right? That's not the goal. 
That's not what the High King is anyway, right? What he wants is to be the one calling the shots with Fingon, right? So he's going to go to Fing- So, But now that he hears that Finrod... If, so let's assume, first, just for, for argument's sake, that he hears that Finrod is being held in Tulsirion, right? Then he sends to Fingon and says, okay, Finrod is... Beginning. I'm planning a... I'm planning a joint expedition. Like, basically, it's his opportunity to use that as a lever with Fingon to say, this is urgent. You come from the north. I'll come from the... I have this plan. In other words, you see, I'm calling the shots. Like, I'm establishing this. Yeah. And you're working for me now, right? Um, because I'm pitching this and you're going to do it because I obviously have the plan. And then once my plan succeeds and we retake Tulsirian and rescue Finrod, this is like a win-win situation, right? Because now not only have we rescued Finrod, who's now going to be grateful to us and his you know, loyalty to uh, Kurfin is going to be higher than ever, even in it kind of, you know, all right, got tarnished a little bit there at the end, but still, like, they were doing well before that, but now it's going to be even better, and Fingen is going to be like, ah, yes, Finrod now still lives, and we owe it all to Kurfin's leadership and ingenuity, right? So, um, that's Ooh. not only a military success, but it moves him along in the direction that he wants to go politically. But into the midst of these policies comes Doriath. Sorry, comes comes Luthien from Doriath, right? And now he's like, oh, hang on a second. Higher priority, right? Immediate opportunity. We have to seize this political opportunity. And that's where the schism happens in Nargothrond, right? Mm. Because you know he was he was he was developing the like let's rescue Fingon plan, and now he's like, well, hang on, let's um, I've got a I, w- w- we need to do this thing with Doriath, right? And and Doriath's with Doriath's help, our victory in uh, in Tulsirian would be assured. Easy to rationalize on the one hand, right, and make it seem like a not evil, horrible idea. And yet there are going to be people like such as it might be Oradreth who is going to be saying, but Finrod is a captive right now. We need to be on horseback today. If we're going to rescue him, um, this is not time to like cement political alliances and try to establish your influence over Doriath. This is time to be riding north if we're going to have any hope of saving... In other words, this can be the gap by which the Nargothrondrim begin to see, okay, this dude's actually just in this for himself. This is and him. Or, this is a power play from beginning to end. And Oradreth as the... as as the... what's the word? Um, the, the the head of a garrison. Um, what would you call that person? It, it, like the... the, the, the castle... Castle, Castle, is that what you're thinking? Yeah, yeah, maybe like of of Minas Tirith would know that it doesn't matter how many soldiers you bring against Minas Tirith. That's not gonna how you're going to take it, right? You know, right. you you need to you need to get inside, right? First, exactly, and because of course, I would also think. I mean, okay, on the one hand he could make a lot of political capital out of rescuing Finrod, right? But at the end of the day, it doesn't mean anything more to Kurafin than political capital. And to him, again, it's like a win-win situation. If they rescue Finrod, cool, he wins, right? If Finrod dies in captivity, cool, 
he wins, right? And his hold over Nargothrond is permanently uh, established, right? So, um, you know, there's so he doesn't really have that much in, at stake. It's an opportunity to try to make progress with Fingon, but it's not. But there's going to be a clear difference between Kurafin's attitude towards the "we need to rescue Finrod" plan and Oradreth's attitude. And Nick, I like your thing. Like he he can try to convince them. Oh no, like, trust me, negotiating this complicated situation with Doriath is key to the success of rescuing Finrod, and Ordreth is going to be like, baloney! It's not at all related to that. It's related only to your own personal ambition and power grabbing, um, because it doesn't, with the whole army of Doriath, we would not be the more likely to, uh, to rescue Finrod, right? Um, we, we just need to be riding in that direction, and we're totally not doing that. And that why Celebrimbor disowns his father over this whole thing. Because Celebrimbor's mother, Curfin's wife, is a prisoner in Angband. And yes. once upon a time, Oradreth and Celebrimbor went by themselves to Angband to try to save her. And it didn't, didn't go so well, but they at least tried. This and, is going to strike a chord with them that is going Right. To, so this... Yeah. This would be an extremely personal thing, and for Curafin to be treating it as a political game, Celebrimbor's done. <laughs> yes. With that. Yes. So I, I do like this angle because it will then fit the personal stories as well. Yeah, it does. It does. We've uh, we've set that up. We've set that um, up pretty well. The thing we haven't set up or mentioned is Gilgalad. We kind of need him to have to flee Nargothrond over this. True. So where does he fit in all of this? Okay. Okay. Um, where does he come in? Um, I don't know. Um, the only thing, the thing I'm struggling with is, well, okay. He doesn't have to do that much. Like he doesn't have to have a, a major role in this whole scenario. He doesn't have to be a leader in this, in these discussions or anything, um, Oradreth can do that. Um, why would he be personally at risk? It's hard to imagine Kurifin is going to pull up princes in the tower, you know, on Gilgalad. Like that, just that seems like a, a stretch. I can't see why he would do that. Um, because he's got Oradreth. I mean, until the end, he's got Oradreth where he wants him, right? Um, and the point at which he ceases to have Oradreth where he wants him is the point at which Kurifin is himself going to get kicked out of Nargothrond, right? And therefore cease to be a threat to the people to, like, go out if he were to remain in Nargothrond. So, um... What if, yeah. what if Gilgalad's too much of a hothead, though? Like, Oradreth, Oradreth is on to Kurifin, but he doesn't have the ability to push him out until... Until he, until Kurfin makes a misstep and Oradreth is able to, to, to utilize that situation, right? But if Gilgalad is is aware of what's happening and is too much of a hothead to keep his mouth shut, then yeah, yeah. What did um, I stop you from saying, Marie? Nothing, nothing. I was basically just gonna say that it's not that Kurifin considers Gilgalad a threat because of 
being the son of Oradreth. It's because Gilgalad's going to do something stupid. Right. Yeah. So. (laughs) The other thing, and I was just thinking, just like Alana was uh, saying just now. Oh, and I see. I apologize. I think the struggles people are having with Twitch are my fault. Well, the fault of uh, my internet service provider, apparently. My apologies. It should get better uh, soon. Um, so keep refreshing occasionally. If it goes out on you completely, it should come back. Um, I'm hoping. Uh, anyway, um, but uh, Ilana was just saying, do we absolutely need to send him out of Nargothrond now? I mean, it might be... Because here, here's the thing. I kind of like the Gilgo out as a hothead thing. Like, that's kind of a fun storyline. What if... It what gives if, him a story. It gives him a... Exactly. What if we save that story for Turin? Um, it's a little bit easier to imagine that Gilgo out as a hothead to Turin and that Turin threatens to punch his face, right? Um... Especially if it's, you know, this is in the later stages of Turin, where Turin is just running things. Oradreth doesn't stand up to him, but Gilgalad is like, no, right? And he tries to stand up to him, and then Turin, Turin, it's, this is Turin, right? Um, Turin, Turin could, is just a bridge too far. <laughs> Turin is a bridge too far, as it were. Yes, so um, that would, cause here's one of the other advantages to this. Um, we're going to want... Eventually, right? We're thinking way ahead here, but obviously, we're going to want the 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 colony down at the mouths of Syrian eventually, right? The refugees of Nargothrond, the refugees of Gondolin, the refugees of Doriath, right? Um, and we don't really have. Do we have anybody who's really like poster child of the refugees of Nargothrond? I'm not sure that we do. Right. I mean, we will have Doriath people, right? You know, we'll have yeah. we'll um, have. Ordra's wife, Meryl, could survive all of this, so she could be among those refugees. So we do have a named character available, but we a haven't named chosen her. Yeah. We haven't chosen her fate. She could also die in the fall of Nargothrond. I, but right. Right. rather than kill her off, we could let her be the voice in the face of the refugees of Nargothrond. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Now, I know, like, they don't, they're not going to go straight down to the mouths of Syrian. Um, you know, those who survive are going to end up in Doriath. Um, we, we, you know, we know, it's how Doriath finds out about what happened. Um, but still, we could sense, I mean, I kind of like the idea of start, like, if, if Gilgal, this puts Gilgal out in a really interesting position. If he takes, like, before the dragon comes, right? If he has a confrontation with Turin, and he leads a contingent down, which would probably not include his mom, because Ordreth would still be alive, um, uh, down the Narog to the mouth of... Like, basically, if Gilgalad, when the refugees of Doriath and the refugees of Gondolin arrived, Gilgalad is already there with some of the Nargothron folks who left with him originally, right? That puts him in a, like, uh, high kingly sort of position, yeah. Once we get down there, you see. Um, so I kind of I, I think it might be too soon to get rid of Gilgalad. Um And since we don't have a compelling storyline and we don't have we barely have time to tell the storylines that we want to tell. I think maybe uh, it might be too much and it might be better. Yeah, Turin just seems such a really I mean, 
Korofin has many faults. Um, but like, I'm going to have Gilgalad murdered because, you know, he mouthed off to me. I mean, I, he, he might do that, but that doesn't seem very much like Kurafin. Like, it's it's a it's an over like Karanthir getting mad at being insulted and like challenging him to a duel or you know stabbing him at sure. Kurafin, I like what's his angle? Like, what does he gain by having you know what for his pride? I don't know. It just doesn't seem he's too much of a big picture, long game kind of person. Kurafin is, I think. Um, to just like I am offended, uh, my dignity is offended, and so I'm going to have you whacked. Um, doesn't seem quite right. But again, you uh, stand up to Turin and say, "I think you're leading Nargathron straight to disaster." And Turin's like, "Come over here and say that." Like, yeah, that I can see happening. And then Meryl being like, um, "Why don't you? Why don't you go visit Kiriton right now? <laughs> right? How about that? Doesn't that does, does that sound good?" Um, this might be prudent right now. Um, anyway, I, I, I think I, I think that that's yeah. I'm comfortable with that solution um, to set up if that's where we're headed. I do want Gilgala to say something hot-headed in his like one appearance in Nargothron this season yeah. Yeah. to demonstrate that that's his character and that it's like, yes, that. yeah. But yeah, we don't need to go anywhere with it if we're not going to do that. We do need for Fendulis to fall in love with Windor, by the way. True, true. Um, oh yeah, we're And that needs to happen that, yeah. like now, now. <laughs> Boy, talk about characters. I mean, it could happen in the lead for. up to the Nair Yeah, yeah. No, it could happen next season in the lead up to the Nair Yeah, but that's. I mean, I mean, we could. They could at least at least meet here. Yeah, having them in the background. I mean, you know, but we're we're gonna have like zero time for them right so yeah it would be i figured we weren't like gonna a, do that a foreshadowing yeah yeah no i think mm-hmm. we can have some i mean we can have some sweet romantic you know uh gwindor going off to war you know saying goodbye to his best girl on the way out the door kind of scenes you know in nargothrond uh before he comes in but um uh yeah yeah um yeah uh, Ilana, I kind of like the idea of having Gilgalad be mates with Gwyndor and Gwilin. Um That would be fun. Except then... Gwilin's G- already captured. Oh yeah, he's already captured. That's right, he's already gone. So Gwyndor could decide not to join Vinrod on his little expedition this time. Even though he was there when... Gwilin was captured and his reticence could be explained in some way, even if it's just Finduilis is really pretty and he'd like to hang out with her for a bit. Like whatever his reasoning is, he doesn't go right. around this time around. Yeah. So yeah, maybe that's the appearance that Gwyndor makes is not joining Rod. And that shows that Finrod does not have the support of his people because Gwyndor should have been one of his main guys. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, and just because I see we're having a little, uh, discussion over there. Um, the the main reference to refugees from Nargothrond is when they arrive in Doriath. Like that's how Morwen and uh, and and Thingol learn that Turin was there. Is when the survivors of the sack of Nargothrond arrive, and many of them arrive in Doriath. But it doesn't say that they all necessarily. 
go to Doriath, but some do go to Doriath, and that's how they discover that. Like, oh yeah, it was well known before the end that Turin was, uh, um, you know, that the Mormigil was was Turin. Um, but um, anyway, so so yeah, we we don't have to have a wholesale slaughter of everybody there. Not to mention the fact that we're talking about a dragon invasion. I gotta think there's more than one exit to Nargothrond, right? So like, dragon comes in the front door, you get out the back door, right? I mean, that's kind of they, you know, I think they do. They probably do drills for that kind of thing. Um, um, yeah, probably not. But anyway, we're, this is... The this dragon is, escape drill. The dragon, dragon escape drill. Right? Come on, you know that the, you know, in schools in Nargothrond, they do that like every decade or so. Um, uh, <laughs> well, at least Merrill would have started doing it after the, uh, after the bridge was built. But anyway, anyway, okay. Um, but that's the word. This is like, what, season eight? nine stuff that we're worrying about here right now. But, um, yes. Okay. So, but I think, so if, if we save Gilgalad, but I agree, Gilgalad does need to show up on screen and he does need to, uh, demonstrate his hot headed tendencies so that we can remember that when we meet him again. Um, uh, Gilgalad's a firecracker. I, I like that. I like that. Um, okay. So, um, we, um, uh, So this all makes sense. Keligorm. Tell me a little bit more about Keligorm. Um, on a scale of... On a scale of, like, um, Aeol to Baron, where is Keligorm on that? You know, like... Because we can't go full-out romantic lead with Keligorm. But at the same time, we don't want to go all, like, skeezy rapist with Keligorm either. Like, he needs to be somewhere in between those two points. How exactly? I mean, she's obviously not into him. Like, that we know, right? Mm -hmm. But, I mean, how is he, like, is he, uh, is he all, like, Twitter-pated about Luthien? Or is this, like, what, how do we handle his, um, his, uh, I mean, do you see what I mean? I think it's important to think about how we are depicting him in his whole infatuation thing. I'm comfortable with him being genuinely enthralled by her. Like she's the most amazing girl he's ever met and he just wants to be around her and will act like an idiot over this, like anyone else in that situation. Like I'm okay with it being a sincere, genuine reaction on his part while still having very clear arrogance and possession sides of it, where if he actually cared about her, he might notice that she's not that into him. Not to mention not enjoying prison. Yeah. Well, so yeah. presumably they don't bring her to Nargothrond as a prisoner. Like in chains, right. Yeah, no, clearly they don't, yeah. Right, right. Like she's brought there under the pretense of, like... Well, come come over to Nargothrond, and we'll talk about what's going on. We'll help. Yeah, yeah. We'll, right, they, they're and help. and then that doesn't happen, and she doesn't get to leave, and like she she's never allowed out of their little suite, and you know things start getting, which is why she gets to spend so much time with Huam, right? Because she has a chamber in their suite, so you know, so Juan is is 
is there all the time. Right. Okay. So uh, there's a couple conceptual problems here that we're going to have to figure out how to handle. Conceptual problem number one, how do they contain Luthien? Right. Thingol fails. Right. And Thingol's precautions are slightly more elaborate than theirs. I mean, what, what seriously, they're going to like, I'm going to walk you in the room and I'm going to latch the door on the outside young lady so that you can't get it. Like, this is Luthien we're talking about here. Does she need a talking dog to help her get out of, you know, like the luxury suite? Uh, you know, like, and I, seriously, um, we have to make it plausible that she needs Huan to help her escape. How do we make it? How do we make I her mean, need I Huan? Mean, Kurafin is the son of the person that we have cr- kind of suggested is the greatest locksmith in in all okay. in, in all the world ever. Okay. So there's that. That doesn't necessarily mean that Kurafin crafts a custom lock to keep Luthien contained. Um, he could, but I feel like that would be a waste of our screen time. Um, well, yeah, certainly if we have a whole like lock forging montage. Yeah, sure. No. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, just... it's a valid issue because Luthien's going to be so amazing. She takes out Sauron. She takes out Morgoth. She right. kind of sort of takes out Karkaroth. The like, again, how are they keeping her well, locked in her room? Maybe it's yeah. maybe it's more subtle than that. Maybe it's it's more of a kind of they're putting her off and putting her off and putting her off. Like, yeah, we're, we're absolutely going to, you know, and Kelly Gorm could even tell her, look, if you, if you really want to go after this human dude, like I'll go with you. You know, I, I will, I will be right there. I can't just let you go off into the wilderness all by yourself. That's crazy. Um, right. And, but the, but this expedition never materializes and it keeps not materializing. Okay. So she's, so she's, being... she's more impatient than under house arrest. Like, is there no house arrest at all? It's, it's kind of, well, it's what I'm imagining is, is, um, kind of like, you know, in empire strikes back when Han Solo and Leia are in cloud city, and like, there's this very kind of uncomfortable situation, but Lando comes in. He's very complimentary. He's very, right. you know, he's very right. nice to them, right? And she, like, Leia is livid. Um, yeah. Well, before Lando walks in, she's talking to Han, and she's livid with him, right? Right, but when right. Han, when Lando walks in, she's much more measured because th- she's kind of dependent on this guy. So right. she's much she's too good a politician to not recognize that she can't just start screaming at this guy. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I right, right. I, I, I can see that parallel, especially if she's gonna be. Look, there's going to be guards and stuff, right? There's going to be people there to, like, protect her and stuff, right? Um, and they're all Feanorians. Now, again, we've not yet seen her put all of Angband to sleep, right? So we don't know that that's in her dual set yet, right? Um, uh, and people could, of course, ask after the fact, like, whoa, if she could put all of Angband to sleep, why doesn't she put, like, the two Feanorian guards to sleep and just walk out? Um but um 
but there are answers to that. Anyway, um, right. whether or not she has her cloak on her person is apparently relevant to her abilities. That, um, yeah. So what we're suggesting is that it's not like she got to Nargathron, they threw her in the dungeon and locked her in, right. and then Huon let her escape. We're going with the idea of she goes there, it's like, okay, we're going to go rescue Baron, and they're like, yeah, we're totally going to do that. First, we need an alliance with Doriath, and then this, and then that. And she's sitting there, sitting there, sitting there. Finally, she's like, fine, who and I are going to do this? And she takes the dog and goes, essentially. Right. As JJ just said, Huan's not necessary, not really necessary for her escape. Uh, he's just there to dog splain things. Um, yes, exactly, exactly. He, it's Huan who's like, okay, this isn't going to happen, right? Um, they're just delaying things. And I mean, yeah, yeah. So I, Huan says, if you want to help Baron, you need to go now, right? Um, and I will take. Does, yeah. does Luthien does Luthien even know? That they're sending letters to her dad saying that they want to marry her. She she probably thinks that they're sending letters recommending an alliance so that they can storm right. Tier together. Like, does she think this is a military Kurofin's thing and doesn't even realize? Right, but no, does she not even know does. that her? I don't think that she there does. was a proposal from Kelligorm. Yeah. Nope. Oh, Kelligor wants to talk to her dad first. Just a perfectly reasonable thing to perfectly, do, right? Exactly. Kelligorm could be talk convinced to the girl's of that dad, anyway. Then you propose. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. First, she's going to straighten it out with her dad. Then he'll propose to her and explain how this is going to go. Exactly. That'll exactly. work out splendidly for him. But of course, the, the yeah. letters that Kurofin is writing is something along the lines of, so my brother Kelligorm is marrying your daughter, and we think it would be great for us to use this opportunity to craft this great alliance of Southwest Beleriand and, you know, and make sure that we have peace for all time and all, you know, all that good right. stuff. But don't worry. We're keeping your daughter very safely Super under safe. guard so that nothing bad could possibly happen to her. Exactly. She is safe with us and you don't have to worry about her escaping. Oh, I know that you lost her. Trouble. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah like yeah. it's it. I, I, I understand the difficulty that you must be under having lost your daughter who escaped your your watchful care. But we have it covered. We Feanorians. Yeah, we we yeah. we can handle this. We get stuff done here and uh, right. we've got things secure. And yeah, no, it's no. this is now Kelligorm. OK, so but I'm coming back to Kelligorm here. Mm. Let's let's work backwards with Kelligorm. Okay. Um, uh, he's going to end up shooting at Luthien with his bow. Right? Jealousy. Right. Um, so I, I, I'm, 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 I'm wanting to map his arc, right? Um, we can get him mm -hmm. there, but we need to figure out where, and that's why I'm where I'm trying to figure out. So here's the thing that I'm resistant to. The thing that I'm resistant to, I'm, I'm okay with Caligorm being genuinely besotted with her, but I am not okay with Caligorm starting off as like starry-eyed, chivalrous love affair, right? Because if so, he's not gonna like if he if this were a totally genuine like think of the um think of we get very few examples of this kind of like a a sort of healthy love triangle among high elves into i could think of one example and that's the 
very briefly hinted at Celebrimbor, Celeborn, Galadriel love triangle that we get in Unfinished Tales. Um, and what we see there is that Celebrimbor was a good loser, right? That he's, like, they all, like, came to a mutual understanding, and Celebrimbor's like, okay, you choose him and not me. I, I think we could have been something, Galadriel, but, you know, it's fine. Um, uh, bygones. Uh, that's not Kelgorm, right? That's not Kelgorm. Like, I do not see him. Now, again, he's not Aeol either, nor is he Myglin, right? But he's, he's, he's not, he's not that either. By the way, I'm not advocating the <laughs> love triangle with Kyle Bridborg down the road. I'm just pointing to it as an example um, of how, like, this kind of thing is uh, done among, like, virtuous and upstanding people, apparently, uh, in, among Tolkien's elves. So, um, there ha- I, I feel like if he's going to end up and in a relatively short time attempting murder to murder her, right? Um, he can't start off in a totally wholesome place. He just can't. No, he, no, he no, can't. no. He when can't. I said genuine, I just meant he actually liked her. It wasn't a political thing. But right, right. Yes, it's very much possessive. So that it, it very quickly turns into the if I can't have her, no one can, which is, you know, Right. Very creepy serial killer kind of stuff. Not exactly romantic lead kind of stuff. Right. And you stole my dog too. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we know that's the real issue here, but. Right. And, right. <laughs> and it's possible that like when, if, if we use the idea that Kelgorm is telling Luthien that he will, he will ride with her to go and save Baron. He's thinking in his mind, look, like it once she sees me and Baron who needs me to save him, you know, like once she sees us side by side, like there's no way that she's going to be like, Oh yeah, that guy. That's Yeah. Yeah. And now I uh, sorry, I uh, Steve, I know that uh Kurvin is one who actually shoots at her in the book, but look, they're on the same horse, okay? And he does it twice. Like, it is in Kelicorp's power to intervene and stop Corvin. I mean, I, I'm just saying, like, he is obviously complicit in the attempt to kill Luthien at that point. Like, whether it's whether it's active or passive, he is he is clearly like he comes to that place. Like he is he is he is not an obstacle. Um, even if Corvin had gotten off one shot, he wouldn't have gotten off the second shot uh, without Corvin's contrivance there. So I, I'm I am still I'm for the sake of thinking about his arc, he is going to come to the place where at the very least he's going to sit there and watch his brother, like in physical contact with his brother who is shooting uh, at uh, at Luthien. So it's it's it, yeah. I mean yeah, but isn't it behind like it? I don't know that he necessarily even like yeah. We could play it that way, but he he may not even know that Corfin was deliberately trying to shoot maybe. Luthien. Maybe, maybe I, we could. Okay, it depends actually, on how. Let's let, yeah. let's take let's take a step further back. Where are we going with Kur, with Kelgorm from here? Where do we want to? Kurifin is making his bid for High King, right? And that's going to come crashing down around him. So you know he's going to care from here on. Uh, like, because th- we're going to need these two guys next season for the near Nithar right? With Mithros. So, 
Kurafin is going to be like the boy who was almost king, but not quite, right? Um, and still embittered uh, and upset about that and the object of much animus from the rest of the folks on the other side. What about Kelag- What about Kelagorn? Who is... Who's he going to be? Where is he going to be? What's his relation? Is he still, is he, is he, are, are he and Kurofin still going to be cool after this? Uh, what do we want from yes. him in future seasons? Um, they're both going to get wounded at the near night. So they're going to end next season on a bit of honor, along with everybody else. Uh, the After that, the next thing is the third kinslaying. So, second kinslaying. Whichever kinsling we're up to, yeah. Right. The Doriath one. Right. The next kinsling, the yeah. The, yeah, that's two, right? Yeah, the, let's go sack Doriath. And yeah. that is most likely going to be, well, apparently we can't get Silmarils back from Morgoth. Time to go take the one that's in Doriath. And, and we, we hate those guys anyway. Right. So okay. we've now established that Kurofin and Kelagorn are not going to have a big jump to get from let's kill all the orcs and Angband to let's just kill all the elves and Doriath. <laughs> yeah. They're, yeah. they're headed in that direction. Right. Who do we see? Who do we want to be the primary agitator there? Kelgorm or Kurofin? Obviously one of them, if not both, but. Um, I would say both, but for different reasons. Both, but for different reasons. Okay. Yeah. But basically we are wanting them to remain on good terms with each other, right? To remain allies through that whole thing. I mean, we want them to be, even if they're working for different reasons, they're going to be working together um, on the Let's Sack Doriath plan, right? It's time for, it's been a long time since the Kinslaying, it's time for another one, right? They don't have to be on good terms for that to happen, though. No, they don't, I suppose. Like, Um, there could be a certain amount of... Like, I just can't stand you anymore. But there's this stupid oath, that, and we have to get the Cimmeril. Yeah. But and the problem is, it's Doriath, though. It's too conspicuous. Because if, yeah. if, if it's Luthien that they had that, like, came between them, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. If they basically part ways over how Kurofin handled the Luthien situation, like if Kelgorm blames Kurofin not only for trying to shoot her in the head, but also for... Um, you know, like the whole, you know, the romance did not kind of went sideways and it was kind of Kurofin's fault. So, um, at least in Kelgorm's mind, surely. Right. Um, then like, let's get together and sack Doriath. Like that's, it's a little close to home there, isn't it? Right. It's, it's, I don't know. I mean, you're right about the oath and the oath is going to compel them to come together whether they like it or not. But, um, I just, yeah, so you, you the, see what I'm aiming for, though, right? Like, yeah, we need to figure. Yeah, we we that, need to be careful that we don't set things it, up one way or another too weirdly. Yeah. Well, there well, be unless a wedge. a wedge between them, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and Kurfin could bridge that gap as part of his campaign to make the second kinslaying happen. Like, if it's his baby and he goes to Kelgorm, is like, I need you, and Kelgorm, screw you. I sorry. <laughs> Right. <laughs> it's yeah. like I'm not, uh, I'm not listening to you anymore. And then Kurofin is like, "Look, like none of this would have happened if Thingol had just said, had just said yes, and then we like you would have had everything you wanted. It's Thingol's fault. It's not. It has nothing to do with me." Well, at this point, it'll be Dior as king of 
right yes so that's right. the product of their union of the union between baron and and luthien yeah so Caligorm wanting to kill the guy is maybe part of the whole possession if i yeah. can't have her no one can and their son can die and let's just slaughter their whole entire country worth of people because that's a reasonable t- a course of action right well i just yeah like i like i now hate everything doriath right because i'm i you know like i right. was spurned and um am resentful um but I feel like that's a little slightly more interesting story than their lockstep the whole way. Like, yeah. because they have been lockstep this whole time. And uh, the idea of them being. I, th- I think the more terrible things they do, the more they should fight with each other, even if yes. they're still up pair and partnered together and working together. Mm-hmm. It's not a harmonious working relationship when they're right planning right. to slaughter a whole country of and people. and Kelligorm could say to something to the effect of look after okay fine after this though we're done i don't want to ever talk to you again and he doesn't because they're dead <laughs> thanks thanks marie the joke is much funnier now that you've explained it <laughs> uh it would be even funnier, of course, for like, uh, you know, like if I ever see you again, I'll kill you. And then they both die. Uh, but anyway, um, <laughs> so. All right. OK. All right. So. Kurafin, then. Do we have. I have to admit that I have this deep seated dislike of the idea of making Kurafin or sorry, Kelligorm attractive. Like I I you know, having him be this like tragic rom- I mean, I'm not saying I think it's a bad idea. I'm just I'm confessing a like an irrational negative reaction to like I, I'm having a hard time wrapping like my mind and heart around the idea because one could see it. Right, it, it it could work. Kurafin really wants to, make, you know. Kur, or, sorry, I keep screwing up their names, which does not help this discussion. Kelagorm falls in love with her. Right, he's like, "This is the girl for me." Oh my goodness, I really want to marry her. And my brother is trying to make it happen, and that's great. And like, we're kind of imprisoning her, but it's for her own safety. And uh, anyway, like. <laughs> captive audience right so anyway but it's gonna all work out i'm gonna get to uh you know my brother says we'll get to he's gonna we're gonna talk to her dad and it's all gonna work out and it's gonna be great and then it all falls apart and she escapes and uh then they get kicked out of nargothrond and then he finds her and she's like with that guy and he's like really upset but anyway then it's kurafin who messes it up again right kurafin tries to shoot her in the head so we could have him like Totally innocent there, right? Yes, he tries to kill Baron, but like, come on, you know, like, who, who wouldn't? wouldn't? Who wouldn't? Exactly, it's his rival, right? I mean, it could even just be a, 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 a I mean, like, there could be like legitimate outrage there, right? I, um, I do like how we all sound like absolutely terrible people. 
people as we try to explain these plot lines. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, and then you murder everybody, you know. Or it's like it was it was a perfectly reasonable course of action that (laughs) you know she wouldn't marry me, so I imprisoned her. (laughs) Yeah. See, see, Maria, this is what happens when you are like on the side of the Feanorians. This is like a life lesson you see that we're learning here this evening. Oh, no, I'm well aware of what happens when I sound like a Feanorian. Yeah. And I'm yeah. very much fine with that. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. anyway. Yeah, the, um, yeah. Anyway, so like, I but just, again, so he can be, I he just can really be still like, like totally eight stars. Under- okay. He can, be a t- <laughs> he can be a totally misunderstood lover all the way through. Right. Who did lose his cool and try to kill Baron. But like, again, could happen to anybody. And uh, and then Kurafin tries to kill her because he's all, and then Kelgorm, of course, can't get over that. Right. Um, and is going to be mad at Kurafin for the rest of his life for like and blame Kurafin for like why he could still be deluding himself into thinking that he still had a chance and that she was going to change her mind at some point because some people can't get that possibility out of their heads. And they we could do this. Like I can see this storyline working. I just dislike it. What you're describing yeah. though is his delusion. Okay. That that's his version of the story. He believes that okay. that's exactly what happened. Right, right, right. Yeah. Right. What's actually happening is more like in a rom-com where there is a love triangle where you have the guy, the girls with in the beginning, who's kind of, a scumbag right and then the really cool guy she meets who you know works at a farmer's market or something right and then she needs to end up with at the end and mr wealthy lawyer guy from new york city is wondering why he didn't end up with the girl when he did everything right um i don't know i don't actually watch but he doesn't but (laughs) but he doesn't actually he's he's absolutely complicit in holding it, um, Lucy in there at best under false pretenses. Yeah. Yes. Oh, definitely. And you know, yeah. So I was where I was going with this is you always portray that guy as terrible. Like he always does something obviously like right. This this person he needs is a completely kick the dog moment. Right. So <laughs> the the audience immediately <laughs> write off as this guy's a complete loser. So we'll we'll have to do right. something like that with Kellogram. So it's very clear, but. What always bothers me is that people tend to go so overboard on what they make the guy do. So in Titanic, it's like, you know what he has to do? He has to kick little old ladies off of lifeboats into the water so they die. (laughs) And it's like, okay, I mean, so don't marry him. But And then in um, The Wedding Singer, he's actively hitting on a stewardess. Right. To right. try to hook up with her, or like right before yeah. they're supposed to get married. Like, there's right. always something really, really obvious where you're really like, the okay, yeah. yeah, 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 that guy is irredeemable from the yeah. point of view of a romantic partner. And yeah, so I think the part where he keeps Luthien and Nargothrond and doesn't help her with what she's trying to accomplish will be where he has that moment. He doesn't and, tell and, her that they're. Try, that they're trying to get her dad to agree to their marriage. Like there's a whole list of things that he's yeah. keeping from her, that he's not being honest with her about. And he's deliberately trying to manipulate her. Yeah. 
So I think the audience will very quickly go like, oh, no, 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 no. Luthien does not want to end up with this guy. Like, there's, he's not going to come across as like, oh, what might have been if only (laughs) something had gone differently. Like, the only person who thinks that that's a good ending is Kellogg. Right, right. So speaking of dogs... um... Uh, dogs that you really would not under any circumstances kick. Um, the other issue, this is the other reason that I have a hard time with like Kelgorm being sympathetic is Huan n- needs to leave him. Right. And I know mm. there are like the two stages of Huan leaving, right. There's like, um, cause he goes back after. Yeah. Huan moves Pulsier. out and then Huan like files for divorce. Right. There's like a, the, you know, two the two stages of, of the departure of Huan. Um, but nevertheless, like Huan breaks ranks from the beginning. Right. I mean, th- there needs to be, um, he needs to be, and it needs to be him. Right. Like that is, it, it can't just be Kurafin. Kurafin is a convenient villain, but if if it's all Kurafin and it's not Kelgorm at all, then Huan's action would be instead to go to Kelgorm and be like, "Dude, you know, man up and oppose your brother and do what's right by the girl that you love." Right? I mean, clearly that would be Huan's loyal Huan's move, but instead Huan is like, "I'm going behind Kelgorm's back. I'm breaking with Kelgorm." Uh, even though he hasn't left him forever, but I'm going to, I'm going to do what I know he does not want. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to oppose him explicitly um, and help to undermine the thing that he, that I know he is trying to do because he is so obviously in the wrong. He is so obviously in the wrong that Huan not only sees it, but doesn't even try to change his mind. Like that, like what he does is sufficiently bad that Huan is, um, you know, like, like it's not even like who who wasn't even going to appeal to him, right? Who one's not going to be like, oh, Caligarm, you know, he's he's not going to try to Jiminy Cricket him or something. He's just going to go and help Luthien escape. Um, so Caligarm has to be sufficiently guilty that Huan sees there's no there's no angle there, there's no hope. Um, I can't just be a very large and very furry Jiminy Cricket to my master here. I have to take matters into my own limbs of one sort or other and, uh, and help her. Um, that's, that's in the book. It's simpler when she's actually like in prison, right? Yeah. Um, uh, again, it's, 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 it would be hard to do that. Like a, jail cell would be hard uh, to arrange. I like the house arrest thing better. It, 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 it's easier. It fits more easily while still maintaining the fundamental issue. But it makes it harder for Huan to do what he does. You know what I mean? It has to be the result of Kelgorm doing or saying something that shows that he doesn't really see Luthien as a person. Um, as a being. Right, because Huan is... Huan is... doesn't just do what he does because he has a really, really strong moral compass and insists on doing the right thing when Caligorm is doing the wrong thing. I mean, that's true too, but that's not his main motivation. His main motivation is love for Luthien. 
Yeah, like everybody else, he's in love with Luthien. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So he loves Luthien and sees her distress and so chooses to help her against the obvious wishes of his master. But he clearly is not going to do that if he does not believe it's also the right thing to do. Um, so, I mean, the moral compass thing is obviously an issue there as well. Um, so, yes, I, I agree. There has to be some kind of clear... Because it can't even be a question of, like, laws and customs among the Eldar, right? Like, um, I can't imagine Huon being like, I've just gotten wind of the fact they plan to, like, uh, you know, marry her. Where They're trying to force her father into giving his consent by force, and then we'll marry her without her full permission. This cannot be born. Like, it's hard to see Huon, you know being worried about like courting customs and you know, the, the, yeah. but if it's a matter of him judging that, um, that the he, dishonesty and the imprisonment and the loss of autonomy is something that Huon would recognize more yeah. so than customs. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And, and it could be something even just as simple as, Calgorm might like right before the breakup, right? Mm-hmm. Calgorm could confess some of his feelings to Luthien and she's immediately repulsed because she like she immediately sees through everything that he's doing mm-hmm. and you know, and she and when Calgorm leaves that situation Huan could kind of look at him like, you know, with the "What are you doing, dude?" face, and Kelgorm says she did, she has no idea what she wants, right. which is denying her her human human, but her free will as as of now, right? Yeah, right, right, exactly. If so, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of things from a something like a canine perspective. Not that Huan has a normal canine perspective, but uh, Marie, like you were just saying, it's not going to be like marriage customs among the Eldar that's going to get him riled up, right? Um, But, Nick, as you were just saying, Luthien is going to have a deep and visceral disgust for Keligorm because she does not buy what he's selling. She loves Baron. She's told him she loves Baron. Right. Um, he is obviously not paying attention. And um, anyways, she's going to, she is not, she is aggressively not into him. Right. And this, yeah. as it becomes clearer and clearer that she is being held and that it seems pretty clear that the only way she, like that the only two options for her are to like fight the Feanorians, which she does not want to do for, some pretty lots of good reasons right um even if just like you know she's a proper young lady who was brought up not to engage in kinslaying right that was a a pretty established thing in her household right when she was growing up so you know she's not gonna she's not gonna be quick to do that um this by the way is one of the answers to why does she why is it okay for her to put all of angband to sleep and not okay for her to unleash her power in the same way in nargathron um answer you don't do that kind of you know against other elves like that's 
it's not cricket. But anyway, um, her only two options, right, are either the really unappealing one of having to essentially fight her way out, when, not whether physically or, or, or magically, fight her way out against all the Feanorians, or Mary Caligorm. Like, those are clearly, increasingly clearly her only two options, and she's going to feel um, disgusted and trapped. Uh, and those would, I think, would be things that Huan would really get, right? Would really matter to him. You know, she's 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 trapped. She's caged, right? She's not in a literal cage, but she's she's being caged against her will. Her will is clear. Um, her will is clear, and Kelgorm is fooling himself into thinking that she's going to come around. Huan knows this is not true, and increasingly will be disturbed by the fact that he is clearly deceiving himself, like and not with a a, a completely genuine error, right? Um, into believing that she is going to love him, and and Huan will see this increasingly. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Hu- yeah. Huan's been willing to forgive Kelogorm a lot of things for a long time. Yeah. So this has to be egregious enough for him to break yeah. uh, faith with him. Yeah. And that's that speaks more to Huan's loyalty than to how great Kelogorm was as a person. Like I know for a while we've kind of let Kelogorm's character be shaped at least in part by. Well, he gets along so well with animals, and Huan really seems to like him a lot. There must be some likable qualities. But again, it's because, yeah, Huan's awesome. <laughs> right. Not because Kelogorm's awesome. Right, right. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and of course, this reminds me of our um, the Huan Kelogorm moments during the Kinslaying that we were doing, right? Um, where we did not have Huan actually shedding the blood of any of the Teleri, but he was there, right? And um, a sort of appalled spectator of the kinslaying originally, um, but also wow. trying to defend... I was about to know, say, he Kel- wasn't just a spectator. No, he not, was defending Kelogorm. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he was in it. Didn't kill anybody, but he did, he did defend people, yeah. Yeah, yeah he, was, he yeah. was in it. So, yeah, he... Was he, in it. he, he was in it. And so, I mean, we could even give him like a doggy flashback or something. I don't know if we do a flashback on screen, but, um, but I, I, I was just, I was just wondering what if, um, what if that's kind of like the turning point moment for him when he, Luthien is talking to him, which Luthien obviously is going to talk to him a lot, right? Even though he doesn't talk back often, uh, but she's going to obviously talk to him. What if he hears her saying like, you know, I have to escape. My only choice is... You know, to, like I, I will not marry Caligorm, but my only other choice would be to strike out against, you know, these. And I'm not going to be, I'm not going to do that. Like I refuse to, to, you know, do to perpetrate a kinslaying. And Huan will remember <laughs> the kinslaying, right? Um, and th- that seems to me like a very logical sort of like the final thing that pushes him over. Right. Um, to realize. That, and also, not only does it push him over to say, OK, I like I, I want to support her. I want to help her. Not not only am I, you know, doggily infatuated with her, but she is worthy of being supported in this way. Um, and there's even like an atonement element for Huan himself, uh, in a sense, like 
and um, but what's more, he can provide her a third option that is neither one of those things, neither the thing that she dreads nor the thing that she refuses to, you know, the, the horrible consequence to her that she really doesn't want, nor the bad thing that she would have to do that she's refuses to, to do. Who Not has to the do. only choice. <laughs> exactly. She... Yeah. Right, yeah. We, we can retain the part where he's the one who brings her the cloak. Yes. So yes. it's like, yeah, let's go with stealth. Stealth is the best option here. Stealth is <laughs> the best sneak, option. Sneak out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and do it I, can, I can help yeah. you to sneak out and help you to escape once you get out. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes. I think Luthien would figure out that she doesn't need Kurofin's army to rescue Baron. Like, Hulan and Luthien are going to do the job. Right. And she's not wrong there. <laughs> like, she took the one... The one fighter from Nargothrum that she needed went with her. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously the way that I'm explaining that, you know, it, like is kind of strained. But do, do, do you see what I'm getting at at the dynamics there? I mean, I think actually the, the kinslaying angle I hadn't thought of before, but that seems like kind of a fun angle to bring in. And again, certainly one of those, if we put... Kelegorm's current actions in the context of, like, memories of the kinslaying, right? Um, we've seen Kelegorm cross lines before. Like, the Feanorians have crossed these lines before. Um, no, it's not yet gotten that bad, but what's going to happen? Right? What's going to happen gonna. When, <laughs> when Thingol refuses and sends an army to come bring Luthien back? What's going to happen? Now, I mean, this, it's not, I think that Huan can do that math too, right? He sees not only that she is, she has the power to look at this. This solves our other problem too, right? Of why doesn't she escape? Because she chooses not to, because she could unleash her power against these other elves, her captors, but to do so would make her guilty. It's a means and ends question, right? Um, no elves were harmed in the escape from Doriath, <laughs> right? She just had to get out the tree. Um, here, she couldn't escape without unleashing her power on these other elves, and um, and she's not comfortable with that. It's crossing a line for her. Um, which, of course, then this whole thing comes back around even more pointedly at the final confrontation with Kelgorm and Kurufin, and at least Kurafin, if not Kelgorm's attempt uh, to kill Luthien, right? That we were, you know, that was the that was almost the second kinslaying, right? It was close. Uh, it was it was a near miss kinslaying uh, there, um, if on a small scale, but significant one. Um, so again, the point is we we see them crossing that line, right? We, we see them doing that. Whereas again, she's she's not, and neither is Baron, right? And she stops Baron from killing. Um, so once again, she does not cross that line, even with them, even when they're guilty, not even as an execution. Um, so we can see that theme already at work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and JJ, that's exactly what I was thinking. In Tolkien, it's very important to remember that the ends don't justify the means. If you're thinking something's iffy but necessary for the greater good, you're probably doing it wrong. Yeah, it always true. I can't think of a time when that's not true uh, in Tolkien's world. And th- that would be 
weighing on Luthien, right? Mm. I could break out of here, but um, that doesn't seem right. That has always seemed to me one of the most important pieces of wisdom that Tolkien is trying to mm-hmm. convince people of mm-hmm. is that the ends does not justify the means. Yeah. I, I think it's yeah. the most clear and consistent thing. Like, no, it's not an allegory, but he's kind of trying to make sure that we understand that yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a, and that is a widely applicable uh, idea. Um which he applies in many ways in his stories. And, and yeah, no, I totally, I totally agree. Um, so, okay. So, Kelligorm, what's his frame of mind then when he's chasing after them, when they meet again? Um, for, first of all, even if we don't show it on screen, because we probably won't have time, Kelligorm and Huon after the first break, but before the second break? What's that relationship like? With less love than a four-time, we're told, as I recall from the text. Um, Tense. Yeah, tense. A little strained, yeah. A little strained, yeah. So he's The whole, where have you been? (laughs) Right. Less trust, surely. Um, How much... Will he know, for sure? That it's a little suspicious that Juan disappeared and at the same Luthien time. disappeared the exact same time. <laughs> yeah, so he's got to know, but I mean, it's not like Juan talks to him, right? Did we decide Calgorm's yes, dog? Yes, yes, that we he did. Okay. Yes, okay, but, so I can communicate. But yeah. what if Juan returns to him? just as a dog because the more he speaks with words, the oh. less Calgorm and he are able to communicate. Not so when mention, Huan, like Huan would be get, like totally giving him the silent treatment at this right. point anyway. So when right. Huan comes back to him, he comes back to him not as his friend and partner, but as a dog. Which I will is, serve you. Uh, I will serve you as a hound, but uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. don't know if I want to like lose his voice or lose the ability to communicate, but to choose not to communicate. Yes. I think I'm as, more, as, more comfortable. As an elective yeah. thing, yeah. yeah. Well, and, right, it's not, whole, and it's not Where have loss. you been and what have you done? And he just doesn't even tell him about the fight with Wolf Sauron. Yeah. Like, that, that's, but, there's something but, wrong there. And what I'm talking about is, is not Huan losing any kind of ability either. It's more like Kelligorm is losing the ability to to commune with him in that way. The bond of sympathy between the two of them that enabled them to complete is broken. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that could be a real thing that would break. Yeah, sure. Sure. Or I can, I can put it into technical nature of middle earth terms, right? Um, Caligorm now has unwilled or sorry, Huan now has unwilled towards, towards Caligorm. So, um, in the Asanwe Kenta, uh, the essay on t- uh, telepathy and telepathic communication and mind reading uh, that Tolkien that is published here in the Nature of Middle Earth, uh, Tolkien's one his, the fundamental premise is if somebody does not want like they have to uh, they have to will for you to be able to read their minds. Like if somebody does does not want you to know what is in their minds, 
it is impossible for anyone, even Morgoth himself, to overcome that um, directly. Just to just to just to to override it completely. Um, it's not possible. Nobody can do it. Kelgor. Sorry, Bormir certainly seems to feel like Galadriel has done it. Um, not exactly. Or is that am I just so, well, is so, that just a film thing that is stuck of, in my brain? No, 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 no. Bormir isn't resisting because he doesn't know any better. You can't, okay. you can't unwill something if you don't know how this works. So Bormir is not skilled enough to keep out Galadriel. Yeah, but that's just okay. because he's human. Yeah. And also, this is for people who know how they're doing it. Come on. Right. Yeah, Huan and Helgorm yeah. know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah no, no, I, I get yeah, that much. And I the Asanway Kent is written after the War of the Rings, so it's like, uh, and it, it works mostly really, really well, but there are some places where it's a little, and that's one where it's a little crotchety, perhaps. But, um, uh, but yeah, yeah, no, it's fine. Um, it, it, I think it, it can, it can kind of work. But anyway, let's not digress too much. The point is, even in the terms of the Asanway Kenta, this works perfectly well. Right, Kelgorm could read Huan's mind because Huan's mind was open to him, right? As you know, he trusted him, um, and so his mind was open. After the break here, Huan's mind is closed to Kelgorm, and Kelgorm can no longer know uh, because of Huan's will. Can no longer know what he's thinking, and so that's not that's not possible for him anymore. It actually kind of maps perfectly there, um, but. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so, okay, meow. Yes, any either direction of communication has to be the the other other mind has to be open uh, to it. Um, so, but uh, at, anyway, yeah. So no, the evidence would be if the Osanome Kenta rules apply to this scene. The evidence is that Boromir's mind was open. Um, my guess is that it might not be a second time, right? Uh, when, you know, if she, if she were to try that stunt again, it might not work the second time. Um, it just means he didn't go in with his shields up, basically, um, which is not hard to imagine. That I mean, he, anyway, it's it's complicated, and we're totally not talking about this now. Um, but uh, anyway, <laughs> anyway, anyway, anyway. Um, but with Huan and Kelgorm, it makes perfect sense, and is a really would be a really cool way. Um, to sh- like that's how you that's how you give somebody the silent treatment when you don't talk, um, right? Is you just you close your mind to him, right? He's giving him the telepathic silent treatment um, uh, from this point on, um, and I love that because that's something we can show, right? We can show the difference in sympathy between them. Um, there, we can we all we need to do is show Kelligorm and Huan telepathically communicating once. Right earlier on, uh, like this, you know, the the, the link between their minds, um, presumably in the scene when Luthien is found, right, um, would be enough to be able to demonstrate that he can communicate with Huan, and then we just sh- show it not happening, not working um, afterwards. Um, so that's relatively easy. Um, okay, all right. So I'm almost. I'm almost okay with this now. My question is just, Kelgorm, when he's hunting down Luthien, so they leave, right? They get kicked out of Nargothrond. Um, they get kicked out of Nargothrond, right? Oradreth puts his foot down with the support of um, Celebrimbor, right? Puts his foot down. Uh, Kurifin and Kelgorm are disinvited. Um, 
the rest of the Feanorians stay with Celebrimbor? Right? They so why did that why don't they support Kurafin? Why do Kurafin and Calgrim get shown the door and leave alone? They were embarrassed. Like yeah. they are publicly embarrassed. Um, because it comes out that I'll bet you anything that it comes out that Luthien was kept against her will, which I'll the bet you that was not com- common really knowledge. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like if a return letter from Doriath comes back, and it like there's like there's all kinds of things that could come out at the same. But the two time. of them are fermenting war, and the forced marriage is practically a rape, and that is a really really bad look. Uh, even... Right. Sorry, Marie. Even among fan audience, <laughs> so because um, I, I, I mean, think like, you'll notice that these are not my favorite fan. Not my favorite fan audience. I know. I know. No. Yeah, yeah. But um, but yeah, I, I think um, okay, that way. And so, Celebrimbor actually becomes a really important pivot point then, because for them to say we're going to remain in Nargothrond and transfer our allegiance to Oradreth is a huge and weird step for them to take, right? I mean, they were just like the army sent with Calgorm and Kurofin to help solidify West Beleriand. Um, surely, even if they're going to disown Calgorm and Kurofin now, their move is to go back to Mithros, right? And, like, their families, uh, which are still back in, uh, uh, in Himlot or whatever. So, um, but if Celebrimbor is there... And still, there, you know, then they, they're still, like, basically, they're still on the mission. It's just that they're no longer, they're now under different leadership. So that would, that would work, I suppose. Um, okay. Uh, but now, okay, so now, now we're, now we're Kelgorm, right? You're Kelgorm, and you're standing uh, outside of the door on the doorstep of Nargothrond, right? The door is just slammed behind you. You're standing there, Kurafin's standing there. What are you thinking? Where do you, what's Kurafin thinking? Why does he go north? Is Kurafin is too calculating to be like, I'm going to get that girl and her dog too, right? He's not just going to be motivated by that. Now, Kelgorm would. Kelgorm, would, would he be like, I'm going to go after her? And again, this is me. Like, I was about to say the sentence... I'm going to go after her because she's in danger and she might need me. And then I was just like, oh, gosh, I don't want Caligorm to be like that. I want him to be that nobly motivated. But but I don't see exa- – I mean, but I also don't see him be like yet fully at the if I can't have her, nobody can have her. And so I'm going to hunt her down, you know, uh, like wherever she is and find her. Like that's um, – uh, uh, well, Huan yeah. is with Kelligarm at this point. Wait. So, I mean, if they want... Yes, if they want to hunt Luthien down, they've got Huan, so that's how they do it, if that's the goal. Yes. They could be on their way to meet up with Fingen, which was kind of what Mytheros suggested was what he wanted in the first place. Because they can't exactly... Like, they can't go to the back to the Pass of Agalon now and expect Mythros 
she'd be like, oh, so that's what happened? Okay, right. cool. Strong well, work here's over your... there in West Valeria. Yeah, 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 nice job. So they yeah. kind of need to do something productive if they're ever going to go home. Um, I mean, that's not true because they do eventually go home, but... Like, I, I'm not but sure exactly. But they're not exactly. going to reconcile themselves to the walk of shame back to Himlad yet, right? right. If there's any hope of it being otherwise. Um, this would be the second time in our story where somebody who was really supposed to go talk to the High King took a rather circuitous route that maybe even involves some forced marriage <laughs> and never right. actually got around to talking to the High King. <laughs> like, this right. is the second time we've had this storyline play out. <laughs> Get sent to the High King and end up in on one end or other of a forced marriage is kind of a, a, a disturbing trend. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. So they'd go north, Kurafin, because he's like, okay, we only have one chance of salvaging this, and that's to get to Fingon and try to accomplish something. Um, but ideally, the best chance they have is to be the first ones <laughs> to get to Fingon before the news of what just happened gets to him, right? So that's, we better go straight that. to Fingon if we're going to have any chance of not being imprisoned when we, we get there. We need to get so. out ahead of this, literally. <laughs> right, we need to get ahead of this, exactly. Um, so, um, yes, yes. Um, now, of so, course, that would make it a coincidence that they come upon Baron and Luthien. Well, but that's that coinc- motivation, but Keligorms can still be to find Luthien. Well, what if he... Okay. He would be in full stalker mode at this point, right? Right? Right. Full stalker mode? Like, no, like, I'm sure she will come around. Like, if I find her, I can convince her. Um, Obviously, there's no chance she's actually really not into me. Like, she lost her head and... But, like, all I have to do is, like... Obviously, this human dude is a horrible influence on her right mm, and has yeah. her in some kind has some kind of hold over her um but if i could find her and rescue her from him then she would sure, sure i mean right i mean he could be in that like kind of level of stalker place right yeah and, yeah and so and so they're both their roads both go in the same direction right they're both it, heading north well, for different reasons and maybe Kelgorm could possibly not even tell kurfin that that's what's on his mind and he could say kind of side ways to to Juan you know where she is right find her right and so they're following Juan northwards towards you know towards where the they can find Finn wants to go anyway so yeah right so he's not yeah. like objecting to to the direction of travel um and that's what brings them into contact with Baron and Luthien right right yep yeah. Okay. I think that 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 works for me as a rationale for them getting nor- and but then they okay, then we encounter Baron and Luthien. Caligorm mm-hmm. saying I'm going to kill that guy makes all kinds of sense. Not only is he a rival, he again, obviously there's some kind of there's some kind of, you know, uh sketchiness going on there, right? Um Yeah. Uh, he has some kind of unwholesome hold on the mind of Luthien somehow. It's the only possible explanation for why, you know, she would go for a scruffy guy like that and not me. So, um, 
anyway, yeah. So that he's, makes he's all, clearly all not good enough for her. Obviously, like he's gonna he's doing her a favor. Clearly, he's rescuing. Yeah. her. Right. She might not have. Eventually, she'll realize that he rescued her and is going to be grateful. Yeah. Um, and killing her boyfriend is going to be the thing that really turns her around towards him. Right. Mm-hmm. That um, that seems perfectly sensible. And um, <laughs> the. But no, seriously, like it's not like no one has ever, <laughs> like I, no creepy stalker person has ever talked themselves into that kind of thing, right? I, I, I mean, mean, I can't say that the thought has never crossed my mind ever at any point. <laughs> right, right. That, that you like, I mean, have I ever seriously entertained the notion? No, but you know, <laughs> just to clarify, this happens all the time on the playground, right? Like, yeah. You know, I like this girl and she's going out with you, so I'm going to punch you in the face and what? That's going to convince her to like me, right? Like, it, it, the not thinking through of that kind of thing is a real thing that happens all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, exactly, Lana, especially killing him in front of her. Exactly. It's going to be harsh, right? It'll be, you know, it's tough love for a while, but um, she'll obviously come around. Um but um, anyhow, so, okay, so again, my, the Caligorm rationale seems perfectly fine. But Kurafin, what's up with Kurafin? If he's, if we're gonna, if we're gonna do that thing, where we have him shooting at Luthien, is in, drives a wedge between the two of them, mm-hmm. Kelgorm and Kurafin. I mean, why does he do it? What well, is it that leads Kurafin to decide to shoot Luthien in the face? If Caligorm is all all like creepy stalker, if I can't have her, no one can kind of thing about it. Kurafin at least has some level of she just cost him everything. Yeah. In West Beleriand. So and he's just blaming he's her a, for everything. Well, she definitely everything was going swimmingly until she walked out. And then right. everything fell apart. Right. So from his point of view, she she did cost him a lot. So the yeah. anger he would have towards her would be pretty significant. Um, he's not a hothead. So he wouldn't no. attack her out of like blind rage or anything. Yeah, that's well, what there's the problems two, with this. Blind rage would make sense, but not for this. Go ahead. Two things that killing her puts a stop to one it puts a stop to baron's quest because there's no way that baron's going to be in entertaining this ill-fated attempt to retrieve a cimarill if she's gone if she's off the table also it ends because like when they find them in the woods right kerfin's gonna look over at kelgorm like we're doing this again dude i don't this is the last this woman is the last person i want to see right now right, right? that and would be his put, reaction and it puts this entire thing to bed and he might think that he could get away with it without kelgorm realizing that he did it intentionally he wants to get rid of her because first because he is angry but that's got to be a perk right because as you say Mm. marie he's not a hothead right he's not just going to be like i'm so full of rage i'm just going to shoot her in the face so he's um the wreaking of his own private vengeance upon her has to be like a bonus feature of why he you know so plan like 
reason number one, like top reason for trying to kill her would be um, what, so Nick, as you suggest, he's going to shoot her and make it look like an accident. Like I was totally aiming for Baron. I was, I was backing you up right there. I was backing you up. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, mistakes were made, right, uh, twice. And, um, but anyway, but his plan was, I'm going to shoot her um, in order, what's he going to accomplish? He's going to, he's going to, because obviously Kelgorm is not going to stop until, like, while she's still around, right? So he's going to solve that problem, I guess. Is that a problem? Does he have any motive to do that? Why would he no, care? No, the, the, the stopping the Silmaril quest is a m- more significant motive but on account of the whole it's thing. not going to work? I mean, like, are, is he really, like, quaking in his boots that Baron and Luthien by themselves, with or without the help of a dog, are going to, are going to save, are going to achieve uh, Silmaril? No, it's more the idea of no one else is allowed to lay claim to it or say okay. it's theirs or go after it. Like, yeah. that's the Feanorian's quest. Uh, Aaron and Luthien don't get to do that. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ilana's asking the good question. Does Luthien have to be the actual target? Here's the problem. I, I mean who doesn't love Baron and who on both hurling themselves in front of Luthien, right. To catch or take the arrows that are like, that's really cool. Right. So I kind of do feel like the arrows have to be aimed at Luthien. Um, but, um, it is the only time that Baron, I mean, of course it's not successful because Juan beats him to it, but it is the only time that Baron actually like, does something to save Luthien. <laughs> I accomplished something. He doesn't even get that. <laughs> right. It's true. It's um, true. Well, the whole getting his hand bit off by the wolf thing was also to save Luthien in that's that moment. True. Yeah, that's but true. the Simmeril like is what actually <laughs> saved so, like But that's his that's his MO, right? Like I get mm-hmm. myself maimed uh in order to save Luthien. Like that's and that's a perfectly respectable MO. And I and I just say, like that's perfectly fine. Um uh yeah, no, I mean and as a setup for that, I think it's I think it's good. Um uh Also, I feel like switching the target just because this is kind of difficult to work out is is a little bit cowardly like it's it's the easy way out it's <laughs> right, definitely right, the yeah. easy way out it is uh, it would be I, well i i was i was trying to stop like because like i don't consider ilana to be acting in cowardice no. here no no no, no i no. just I think know, that I know, I know. she yeah. she's proposing a very sensible and easy solution to our problem right no i agree <laughs> yeah it would be cowardly of us to take it up is, the, is, is the thing. <laughs> right the, uh, i think as long as you could explain to the actor what the motivation is then it's okay like it doesn't necessarily have to be explicit on screen yeah right um, it's just the biggest problem that i have i just keep coming back to the hothead thing like kurafin is so calculating right mm-hmm. he's so calculating like what is the like what's the calculus on shooting luthien in the face you know like why if, if Luthien goes back to Doriath, what's the consequence? 
Oh, there's that. Her being dead now. Of course, if if here's here's the problem, if she's dead, then what's to stop Baron from going back to Joriath and what saying, is, well, "What is the angry I, father-in-law going to believe him?" Uh, well, for one thing, w- oh, what makes fair. you think Baron walks away from the situation? Because if, if they manage to shoot Luthien, what what are they doing two seconds later? Yeah, <laughs> right. I fair. mean, but and not you don't that, murder someone and not kill the witness. <laughs> True, true, true. Griffin um, will think this through. Right. And even if Kelgorm is going to be upset, right? But again, like, oh, gosh, I was totally aiming for him. That was rum luck uh, twice. And um, but um, I but now obviously we have to kill him and Kelgorm on board with that plan you know, uh, one way mm. or another, right. He was on board anyway. And now in, uh, you know, rage and grief, um, he has more reasons. Um, could Kurafin be thinking about actually framing Baron? I'm thinking, I, I get, this is a stretch. I'm, I'm, I'm calculating, right. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to calculate here. Um, by framing yes. Baron, I mean, Look, the Doria thing went sideways in a pretty ugly way, right? Mm-hmm. And there's going to be long-term consequences of this. Um, could he try to salvage something? By, I mean, because, like, look... Yeah, the whole reason that we were, tra- we were trying to keep him, her away from this guy this whole time, yeah. Exactly. She was in danger, and she was... And look, she went off with this sketchy guy and got herself killed, right? Um, like, he, like, if he didn't kill her, like, he didn't stop... You know, he didn't you know, prevent it, whatever. Like he's obviously the bad guy here, right? We got there too late. She was already dead. Um, and so, and, and again, and single, not like is gonna not, he's not well disposed towards them. They wouldn't show up him themselves, obviously, and do this. I'm not suggesting they go to Doriath. They're not idiots, but, um, but again, like he's calculating enough. He's got to be thinking like, okay, um, I kind of need to explain, <laughs> How do I, how do I, is there anything he can do to patch the situation um, with, uh, with Doriath basically, you know, in future, because like, this is going to create problems down the road. Um, He's got to see that. Um, And if we could refocus Thingol's ire towards Baron, which is already in that direction anyway, then... I don't know. Yeah, and, and and of course, if they if they then kill Baron, then they can cover the whole thing up, and then yeah. it doesn't matter. They can they can make they can make the whole story, uh, um, and especially if he is trying to do it so that Kelgorm doesn't know that he's trying to do it, he could have Kelgorm swearing up and down about what he thinks happened. You know. Is Kelgorm conscious? What if Kelgorm's not even conscious? He just got almost choked out, right? Kelgorm? Uh, Didn't Baron's leap already happen? Right, so Kelgorm grabbed Luthien. Leap yeah. of Baron happened. Leap of Baron so, happens. So Baron gets Kelgorm off the horse. In that moment, oh, right? Kerfin. Kerfin. 
Curfin yeah, gets then then Baron throttled Curfin, but death mm -hmm. was, was near for Caligorm rode upon him with a spear. Mm -hmm. And that's when Huan does this thing. That's when he yeah. files for divorce. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so I'm wanting to swap the throttling. And here's why. If if it's Kurafin, sorry, if it's Kelagorm who gets throttled, right? Now, again, we have to deal with the Huan situation because, you know, um, Huan turning on Kelagorm is a huge deal, right? And we can worry about this a little bit later to some extent, but I'm still trying to work out Kurafin's bigger story, right? Like, what's this? He's got to have a plan. What's the plan? That's why this is bothering me. Um, if Kelagorm is in a some kind of semi-conscious state, right, he wouldn't be seeing any of this, what's going on. So Kelagorm would find himself with a free hand. Even if they're... Because this happens on horseback, right? They're let, they let them go. Mm -hmm. You know, at Luthien, like Luthien says, let them go. And so they put them on a horse. Um, and that's what I meant when I was saying that Kelagorm is in physical contact with Kurafin while he's shooting at Luthien, right? Which is why it seems to me like he's obviously culpable in the text. Um even if he didn't pull the bow himself. Um, but, um, but if Kelagorm is like still sort of like slumped over and semi-conscious from being choked out by Baron, um, but not killed, um, then that gives Kurafin a free hand to both act however he wants and have deniability to, and then, and, and Kelagorm, has perfect deniability, right? So he shoots Luthien, and then, uh, and then he, he can he can make up a whole story that Kelgorm can then swear to. I don't know. Like it's getting super complicated. So, but, well, uh, and and also there's <laughs> like to figure it out. Certain stuff is First, not going to happen. So like that's the problem with trying to figure out Kurfin's plan is like what Kurfin wanted to happen and what mm -hmm. actually happens. Right, that. doesn't happen. Right. Yeah, and like what really happens is Baron ends up with Kurfin's knife. Right. Um, I would say, I would say that if, if it would have been difficult for Kelligorm to figure out that Corfin was aiming at, at, um, Luthien before when he was conscious, if in front of him and facing in the opposite direction, then it would be like there's no reason for it to even come to Kelligorm's attention that Kurofin tried to shoot Luthien. Yeah. Um, possibly ever. Um, so if, but here's the thing, like if Kurofin is throttled by Baron and then gets on the horse and they're riding off, Like, I could see this momentary breakdown of rationality that, now, of course, he's rational enough to know that the problem isn't actually Baron. The problem is Luthien, right? He's, he's rational enough to figure out that that's the, that's the real problem. But, like, as you say, this is somebody who... It, it, who was just getting choked out to the point of being near death by Baron. 
it may not that be that uh, the stretch that we have been imagining for him to to act out a little bit. Right, that he he has, and this I think was what Brian was suggesting that he yeah. has he has his first like. Normally, he's not a hothead, um, but he has a, a little emotional break here, um, yeah. in this moment, and we he just like snarls and does something angry and irrational and shoots and spiteful frankly just like yeah purely because spiteful. this is gonna hurt baron shooting luthien will hurt baron a lot more yes. than shooting baron would yeah absolutely um absolutely yeah i think i think in the end i think in the end that's where we have to go with it so i uh i'm like didn't even realize how ludicrously late it is right now uh that this is, is that what that look was <laughs> yes that's what that look that was like that's not the actual time, is it? <laughs> Holy cow. Okay. Sorry. My apologies. Um, kind of absorbed in the Kelgorm and Kurafin story. Because this is a really complicated one to do. Uh, you know, again, like it's, it's the, it's, it, it's, it's, it's about that changing of the register of the story, right? When you come down to ground level and really have to, you know, and really have to work through what was everybody thinking. I mean, this is why Tolkien himself makes so many changes to the stories when he when he does that, you know, in the later Silmarillion tradition. Anyway, whew, okay. But I think we've done some good work here with Kelligorm and Kurafin. Didn't so much get to Thingol, but that's okay. Actually, I think Thingol is pretty simple, and we can do Thingol really snappily at the beginning of next time. That's my theory. It's and and uh, I can see the absolute confidence in Marie's face that that's what's going to happen. Um, I think Thingol will be really uh, trivial. I think trivial is the word. Um, uh, so on Thursday, March tenth, we will be back for a the briefest and yet most fully satisfying of conversations about Thingol and what's going on in Doriath. And then what we're going to do immediately and well prior to the end of um, the uh, episode, <laughs> we're going to uh, decide on the events of the first couple. We're, we're going to begin the season outline um, because we need to allow the script team to move forward. So they need to know uh the beginning and end of episode one and what is covered in episode one. Um, so we will definitely, whatever happens. And I assume it's after the, um, uh, in fact, maybe we just start with that next time and then do Thingol afterwards. Mm. Right. Does that seem like a safer plan? Maybe that's, maybe that's wiser. Perhaps it, perhaps it's wiser. Um, we'll do that. We'll start with the episode planning, um, do one, at least one through three, one through four, make sure that we see the trajectory there. Um, and then we will do the efficient discussion of Thingol. And yeah, Dairon, we'll get to Dairon, Ilana. Um, it's going to be a little bit harder because I have no idea yet, but we'll see. We'll see what ideas emerge, uh, for Dairon's future. But, um, anyway, uh, that's it. That's just what we're going to do next time. So, um, we'll do the first few episodes. Then we'll do, we'll finish Doriath and talk about Dairon as that's perfect plan. Okay. 
Very good. Thank you, everybody. My apologies for my presumption upon your time. I like. I think it must have been. I think my like clocks must have jumped ahead. I think that's my theory. I think that's what happened. Um, like daylight saving struck me unexpectedly. Um, is I think there's something is malfunctioning here, and I don't think it was me. Except it probably was. Thank you very much, everybody, for joining us. And we will see you guys in two weeks. And until next time, thanks for listening, and Godspeed.